five. Now this is most important, Rat. It comes down to making out whenever possible. Put on side one of Rock All Over You Podcast! Let's rock! Eric and Edwin! Edwin and Eric! They don't give a fuck! They just want you to rock! Yeah! Bam 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 dilly dee! Bam bam bam! Alright everyone! If you heard that sound, that's not beer cracked, that is a Jaeger bomb. I just dropped a shot into this big ass cup. And, oh man, I am excited for today. I'm joined not only by my good friend Edwin Castracci, but we got a very special guest star. Edwin, why don't you introduce him? He is a um, pretty high-profile uh, guest we got here. Yeah, oh great, so I'm the one that has the burden of pronouncing your last name right. Okay, I think I can do this, Chris. <laughs> yeah, I tricked you. <laughs> hey, people have been mispronouncing my last name ever since I was a little kid, so. <laughs> uh, it's Chris uh, Sinzak, right? <laughs> Yes, you got it right. Awesome! Chris Sinzak, the one and only from Decibel Geek and Rockin' Pod. Uh, and he's a legend. Everyone, come on, anyone that's listening to this, the few the few people we have listening to this have to know who Chris <laughs> Sinzak is, especially because we got a lot of members of the... I feel like the RMCP Army, Chris, is kind of like... I feel like there's a brotherhood that's connected between the Rockin' Metal Combat Podcast and Decibel Geek. Like, they're, you know, they're... they're they're friendly with each other. I feel like there's a brotherhood there. Am I correct? Yeah, yeah I think we're like the uh, one of the only shows that hasn't had a feud with Ian and Ralph. I think that's kind of a record or something. <laughs> <laughs> and and yeah, and you guys have you know been on each other's shows and stuff. And obviously, I mean, that I I listen to both your shows. I do listen to Decibel Geek uh, quite regularly. But I was introduced to your show actually through the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. That yeah. was my, that's how I found out about it. Yeah, we've gotten a lot of listeners through that, and, and vice versa. I know we've turned a lot of people on to Rock and Metal Combat through our show. And, um, yeah, actually, um, I had the pleasure of sleeping on Ralph's futon a few weeks ago, and Aaron slept on Ralph's couch when we were stranded in Florida because our flight got <laughs> fucked up. Yeah, and you went to the Iron Maiden uh, Ribs place. What's that place called? Rock and uh, Ribs. Nico's Rock and Roll Ribs. Exactly, yeah. Ooh, that yeah, place is cool. Yeah, it looked like good times. Yeah, I felt, but I wasn't in Florida at the time. I'm in LA currently, but you know, I have a condo in, in Tampa, Florida. So it was too. I was looking at that, going, "Oh, I wish I was in Florida then, because I would have maybe uh, went down to that." Uh, but yeah, I, I was in LA. I'm going to be back there next month, though. I'm going back to Florida for the summer. Uh, I bounced between the two. And yeah. you're yeah, uh, you're in Nashville, right? Yeah, yeah. Aaron and I are both in that. Well, Nashville adjacent, I guess you could say. Neither of us are actually in Nashville. We're just outside. So it's like a suburb of Nashville. It's kind of like right. the Chicago thing. Like I'm from originally from Chicago, but I mean I lived in the suburbs. Same, same here. I'm originally from Philadelphia, but really, I mean my family's all from Philly proper, but me, myself, I was just born there and I was raised in the suburbs. You know, yeah. but when you talk, it's just to easier people, to say the yeah, name of just, a big city. You know, yeah, you don't yeah. say the name of the suburb that people don't know. Oh, so it, I'm it, from Philly. Is anyone going to know that I'm from Murfreesboro, Tennessee? I doubt many people know where that is. I love that place. <laughs> oh, do you? <laughs> no, never heard of it. Ever. Okay, I'm sure it's a great place, though. Maybe, yeah, or maybe it's, it's, it's a, a shithole that you were wanting to get out of. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. 
It's fine. I mean, I, Nashville will always be, I'm from Nashville originally, but I've lived all over the country. But yeah, the Nashville area is always going to be home, even even if we have been taken over by bro country and bridal parties. But otherwise, <laughs> oh god, <laughs> fucking bro country, man. And I, there's a lot of that down here in Goshen, man. There's even like you know all the people with the oversized like trucks with the massive fucking tires and shit, acting like driving around like jackasses, just like Jesus. Oh, you get a lot of that in Tampa. It's fucking big. <laughs> it's like we get, dude. You got a small dick. Like you don't. <laughs> yeah. As I was say, it's a lot of small penises. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of small penises in Goshen. So, uh, Eric, and we're gonna ask. Uh, we're gonna talk a little more to you, Chris, about your background and the, all the cool, awesome stuff you're involved in. But before that, uh, I want to talk to Eric about. He went to. It's the first time you've seen Alice Cooper as a headline, right? Headliner. Yes, I've seen Alice Cooper as an opening act, and he's always blown me away. I know you blew Motley Crue off the fucking stage in 2015. And not that, you know, I'm a Motley Crue hater, you know, like, Motley Crue wasn't bad. They put on an entertaining show, but, I mean, just Alice Cooper was just, you know, on another fucking level. Um, but it was my first time seeing him headlining. I was kind of on the fence about seeing it, because um, it was, you know, I try and at least see maybe a show a month, especially with concerts coming back. But I looked at the set list, and it's in South Bend, which is only like half an hour away from me, which in Indiana, I either have to drive out to Illinois to see a show, or I have to go to Fort Wayne, which is like an hour away, um, to see a show. And, um, you know, it was only 30 minutes, and I'm like, I saw the set list, and I'm like, you know what, I need to see it. How much longer is Alice Cooper going to be around? How much longer is he going to put on shows? I thought about, you know, the whole A. Van Halen thing, I... Never got to see Van Halen because I kept waiting and waiting, you know, like, oh, I'll see him next year. And, you know, Van Halen ended up passing away, man. And uh, so I didn't want to have that regret. I'm like, I need to see him as a headliner. He was playing all kinds of great songs. And, man, it was, it was a hell of a show, man. I had so much fun. Uh, I, I couldn't drink uh, because it was, uh, it was a school night and uh, I went by myself. I didn't have a ride there. Yeah. Um, so I, I couldn't drink, but I, you know, I didn't need to drink though, man. I, you know, I was high on you know the excitement and the thrill of the concert. And well, uh, Alice is not drinking either, so there you go. Exactly. So I'm there with, <laughs> and uh, his guitarist Nita Strass is also sober as well. So that's three of us, you know. Man, it it was a great show. My only complaint was the venue. I can, you know, I'm with Ian Wadley, where there are certain venues I just fucking hate. I hate, you know, having to sit down at a show, you know, because there were seats in, like, the, the front row where you could stand, but they're just way too expensive, and just, I did not have the money to drop on, like, uh, you know, front row seating, um, and I was like, well, I could either miss the show, or I could pay less money and just, you know, sit down at a seat, you know, and at least I can see the show, um, so it just sucked, because it was, like, four seating, it was, like, a theater there's like ushers and everything because it's like they usually put on just musicals and shit here. This really isn't like a rock show environment. And that was probably one of my only complaints about was just that venue was horrible. I hated sitting down the whole fucking time. That's you know, only, like, Eric, that's only because you're 29 years old. Uh, and God, and God <laughs> bless you. But I, th- I, think Chris, I think Chris will get my back on this one. When, once you get into your 40s, you kind of like the seats. You yeah. like having that option. Well, I don't know about those seats, man, because they're very tight. They're like regular, like, you know, arena seats. They're like real tiny, and you're just crammed against everyone. I think I'd rather stand up and be able to, like, kind of move around a little well, bit. Could, well, yeah, I mean, crammed I, up just, someone. I saw, like, Judas Priest uh, about, uh, it was like two weeks ago. And, you know, I, it was a theater, it was a shrine uh, auditorium uh-huh. in LA. 
And it, it was nice. It was a good setup. Uh, I prefer the Microsoft Theater, but it was a good set where they played before. But it was a good setup. But it has the option, like, you could sit. There's a seat. There's, like, assigned seats. But you can all, everyone, like, stand. So, like, it's like, if it's a song I'm really pumped up for, like, if they play Desert Plains, you know, yeah, I'm standing up. But, <laughs> you know, but a couple other songs, you know, you know, I'm in my 40s. I get tired. You know, yeah. I, like to, I like to take a break and sit down. <laughs> Yeah. I know there was there was a lot of like pretty old people there. Cause, I mean, Alice Cooper's like you know he's been around for a while, so there was a lot of like like old like you know old people, man. Like you know, yeah, like grandparents and shit. Oh yeah, you like know? yeah, older than like so, bands like Judas Priest and stuff. He's like a generation yeah. before that. But yeah. it sucked though because it was like a theater. Like I know there's some venues where you can pay for like a seat, but you can you have the option to go down into general admission, which is just standing. Which I like. There's some venues like that that I love. You know, we have a venue in Indiana in Fort Wayne called Pierre's, which is where I saw Overkill. Which I'm gonna talk about that concert for the Overkill episode we got coming up soon. Um, but it's like it's just one price. You can buy a balcony seat for like more money, but like most of the time it's literally just 35 bucks general admission seating. If you want to be up close to stage, it just depends on how bad you want it. You know, and I, I like that. You know, for for me, I want to stand that show. If I'm at a rock concert, I want to stand the fuck up. I I'm not seeing Celine Dion. You know, that shit you can sit the fuck down. But you know, I'm seeing Alice Cooper. I'm seeing a rock show. I want to stand the fuck up and just like get into it, man. And uh, and it was a it was a pretty good uh, set list from what I looked. A lot of his 80s oh my stuff. god, yeah. He did uh, he did like my favorite song because I'm not a big fan of the album Trash, but he did my absolute favorite song off the album, which is Better Nails. And I was, like, planning on, like, I had my couple of moments in the show where I pull out my phone and I took, like, a five-second a five second video, you know, because I'm, like, I want to just watch the show. I don't give a fuck about the videos or taking a lot of pictures. I just want to enjoy it my own way and remember it. But I just, like, take just a couple little pictures or five-second videos. But I was, like, hell-bent on, like, I want to get at least, like, the chorus for Bed of Nails. But when Bed of Nails came on, I just, like... I, I could not, like, you know, pull my phone out. I had to, like, just sit there and embrace it. It was just such a moment. But he did a lot of great stuff. He did a good mix of, like, 70s, 80s. did some of his newer stuff. Uh, one song that I hadn't heard was Fallen in Love, which is, like, kind of a bluesier song. And that one was phenomenal live. Um, so I got to check out the album that came out, that, that came on, because that song fucking blew me away live. Well, well, fan, I don't know. Chris, do you know what album is that on? That's yeah, cool. he did. Um, he did that one and Go Man Go, and uh, um, I think both of those are off. Um, paranormal. Yeah, paranormal. Well, the Go Man like, Goes Detroit. Yeah. or Go Man Goes is off the new one, but yeah, but um, Fallen in Love is on Paranormal. Okay, there you go. Yeah, I some of the newer albums I do have them because I am a huge Alice Cooper fan, and I do listen to them. And I did a review of you know uh, Detroit Stories on on. Uh, yeah. But I don't really, I don't listen, I don't go back to that one quite as much, I'll admit. I mean, where are you, Chris? I mean, did you see oh, this uh, tour? I yeah, did. did you I, see it? I, well, I haven't seen the new, I saw the Paranormal tour. Um, well, I think it was the Paranormal tour. I don't know. It's been like two years since I've seen him. But um, but no, I the Detroit stories, I didn't like very much. I, I tried to get into it. I did like Paranormal. It did have to grow on me. It had a few songs that that i liked right away and then the rest of it had to grow on me but mm -hmm. um yeah. i'm a weird alice cooper fan like i prefer his solo stuff over the original band 
Wow, you that is yeah. weird. Yeah. I mean, Ian, Ian Wadley thinks I'm insane for saying <laughs> that, and my favorite era is the blackout period from the early 80s. Oh, I like cool. it. There's some I gems like, in that era, because not a lot of people know about it, so it's almost like a new thing you discover for everyone mm-hmm. that's a fan of Alice Cooper. Yeah. That was the only thing that was not played during the set was, you know, every era was kind of well represented except that era, and I was disappointed. I mean, I can see why maybe he doesn't want to play some of those songs, and also, too, I mean, he doesn't, you know, he still says, you know, he does not remember anything from that era, like that whole period of time. But people would love it. I think people would love it. I know, like, Chris, it, you said you're like a Dada guy, right? Well, yeah, and like, one, you know, and I'm not going <clears> to <throat> go super hardcore into plugging my own show, but I will plug this. Um, we did, um, not very long before Dick Wagner passed away, you know, Dick was like the main songwriter that Alice used through the 70s and early 80s, and um, he had actually come back to Alice Cooper to work with him on Dada, uh, mostly because Alice was such a mess on on uh, drugs and alcohol at the time. Uh, it was the last album they had to do for Warner Brothers, and basically they had to fulfill the contract, and Bob Ezrin, who also was bad off on cocaine, yeah. <laughs> um, was like, you, Dick, you have to go down to Arizona and get him off his ass to get him up here to Toronto to do the record. And um, Dick did the, uh, a whole you know, in-person talk with us about the making of Zada and uh, it's uh, it's definitely worth your time because there's not a lot out there because Alice doesn't remember much about making it um, my goal is eventually to get Bob Ezrin to hopefully come to Rockin' Pod and, and do like a nice. breakdown on, on the Dada record itself but um, yeah that song that, that album um, has a song called Pass the Gun Around it's the end of the album and it's yeah it's basically Alice crying out for help because he was so bad off on uh, alcohol and drugs but the solo on that song that Dick Wagner does is it's one of my top five favorite guitar solos of all time it's also my favorite song on that album is uh, No Man's Land I love, I love that like Scarlet Scarlet and Sheba is my favorite yeah. on that album holy shit that's a good song and to get back to talking about him not doing any of this stuff live um, I've you know one great thing about living in Nashville is you run into a lot of rock people that work in bands because uh, a lot of them live here. Yeah, and Chuck Garrick, who is Alice's bass player, lives here, and um, you know we've interviewed him. And then, but I run into him at shows, you know, at least three, four times, and it's become a running joke where every time I see him, I'm like, you know, you got to get Alice to play Scarlet and Sheba live, and he just laughs his ass. He's like, he's never going to do that song. Just give it up. Yeah, you know, it's funny to do that one. His bass player, uh, his bass player looks literally just like his original bass player from the original band. I forget, I can't remember his name right now. It's on the tip of my tongue, but I just can't remember. But he, he looks like his original. Yeah, he looks like his original bass player from the original Alice Cooper band. I just find yeah, that so true. weird. I think he yeah. should. Do, I think he should do at least one song from the Blackout period. I mean, I really love the Blackout he period did. too. Uh, and, and you know, it's. I mean, big. I know he it, maybe it's a dark time and he doesn't remember mm. it, but you know, David Bowie didn't remember making station to station and yet yeah. he still played songs from it a lot well, he's done it he has done a few songs um over the years he did do who do you think we are he's done pain he did pain the last time i saw him and that's a great oh, song that's a good oh, one. Pain, love, it, pain might be a top it. five alice song for me it's yeah one of my favorite songs he's ever done and he Amazing. did it, it's been about 10 years but he did do clones for one tour too yeah, and that's like kind of even that's a, a great hit. Song. That's kind of a hit, I think. Yeah, it was a, I think that's probably the most well known of the Blackout era is that song. Like even yeah. people that don't know Blackout era, they they do know that song. It's always usually on uh, greatest hits compilations. Yeah, it's yeah. Smashing Pumpkins covered it. So like yes. I think yeah, it, 
that that brought a little attention to it. But yeah, it, it's, I wow. love that period. I do love the Alice Cooper band, like most people, Chris, uh, best. But yeah, hey, I still, I, I, don't get me wrong. I love the original <laughs> band, but. Um, you just prefer the solo stuff. It's, just... pro- it's welcome to my nightmare through Dada. That's my favorite period of his career. Nice. So, so are you? Because you know, um, I don't know if you watched my Alice Cooper discography. Review. I did. Yeah. Okay. So you know, I mean, I'm I'm a very big fan of From the Inside. Oh, it's a. And that, oh, that I had that the... concert DVD. I don't know what happened to. It. I think I accidentally gave it away, like that Rat DVD I gave away, which I just recently found for like real cheap because it's out of yeah. print. But uh, yeah, I used to have that concert DD from the from the Inside Tour. That was a wacky fucking show. That Is was it- uh, the the one of the biggest regrets we have for Decibel Geek was you know we had Dick do um, Dada with us, and then he got sick and wound up in the hospital like two months after that. And I was texting with him while he was in the hospital. And he's like, we need to do another one of these episodes for From the Inside because I have a lot to say about it. And you know, I'm I'm thinking I'm not worried about getting him for a, an, an interview. I'm just like, dude, just take care of yourself, just relax. You're in the hospital. Let's get better first, and then we'll talk about that. And he never made it out of the hospital. Oh, that oh was, that's uh, too bad. But he really wanted to talk about the making of that record. But yeah, well, that I, yeah, like a real he, he almost like had a feeling, like a bad feeling that. You know that interview may not happen, so he wanted to probably get done, and he's yeah. you don't realize that, and that sucks. Well, I'm just I, you know he was wanting to. I was just thinking he was wanting to because <clears throat> the listeners really loved the episode we did with him, and I think he kind of got off on that and was like, "Well, I know they want more from me, but I'm just I, I'm coming from a friend's perspective. I'm like, dude, just, yeah, you're in the hospital. Just take care of yourself, and yeah, we'll talk about exactly. it later." It, it's I love that's a good episode. Now, I know you guys also too did another episode where that's another great one where you uh, you talked about the blackout era, which is both yeah. those episodes. If you get the after this after listening to this, you know for all of our listeners, go check out those episodes of the Decibel Geek. They're phenomenal. Yeah, no, and that's a, you know what, we, Chris. In the future, maybe sometime later in the summer, we should have you back to discuss from the inside. Just throwing oh, it out there, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Th- that album, as you know, and I talked about this in the video, Chris. Like that was very, it was a very important album for me during the lockdowns. You know, mm-hmm. it was like <laughs> so, the yeah, ultimate. It's, yeah, it's very apropos. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really, yeah, yeah. It's, I'm just saying, it helped me. It kind of helped me because I tried to like, how do, how do you find a way into this to make it seem like it's not just horrible and mundane, but like this interesting journey you go through you know and that album was very helpful it's i know i made it my number one album i gotta say like i predicted in that video i said after the lockdowns are done i'm sure it's gonna drop a bit and it did it's like i'd say maybe my third favorite album i got i gotta say it's killer killer and uh billion dollar babies but easy easy three easy third favorite album from the inside and it is my favorite solo alice cooper album what's your favorite album I knew you were going to ask me that. That's hard. Um, <laughs> I, if you had right today, what's your favorite album? Right, yeah, now, gun to your head. And you have to pick one, like right now. I would probably, I guess I'd still, you know, and it's kind of the cheesy answer. I guess I'd still go with Welcome to My Nightmare. I wow, mean, cause, cause nice. it's, it's just so top to bottom strong. You know, there's not really much filler on it at all. I um, Dada would still be in the top three. Um, it's weird because it's such an odd record, but. It does have a cult following, though. I did. Yeah. It's like, like one thing, like you know, if you had to pick which album to do an episode for, you didn't get to do the from the inside, but you did Dada. I feel like Dada has a bigger following than from the inside. From it what does. I, 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like Alice's music from the Elder, so to speak. You know, it's yeah. It it's the one that it seems to get the most hate, um, but it it really doesn't deserve. It. Honestly, I'll take it over uh, Zipper Catches Skin any day. It's way stronger than that record. Yeah. Well, I actually I do like Zipper. Catches I like skin. it. It's a good one. Think, yeah. But Dada has a lot more depth than Zipper Catches Skin is. For the most part, him doing a punk slash new wave record. <laughs> yeah, my but, favorite would definitely have to be uh, Killer. That's yeah, just Killer. Yeah, really for nice me, that's like killer. the ultimate. Like, it's it's a creepy album. That's like one of my favorite albums to play. Like in October, November, like mm-hmm, driving yeah. around, like because there's a lot of farmland, a lot of like secluded area. So I like to like listen to that album driving around at night sometimes. You know, when it's all creepy and Halloweeny. You know, and Ooh, it's, I like it. I like that. Yeah, creating man. <laughs> Sounds fun. <laughs> that's a fun album, and he well, did Alice play. Cooper always throughout Halloween. I always listen. It's like Ozzy, Alice Cooper. He's yeah. like I kind of associate him with like he's a good autumn fall artist. Exactly. Oh, yeah. He did yeah. play "Be My Lover," so and uh, "Dead Babies." Obviously, he always plays oh, "Dead that's, Babies." That's always great. Yeah. And his he, wife, I didn't know his wife was still touring with them because there was like this girl that would come out like you know dressed up you know for certain songs. And uh, at the very end of the show, when he's introducing the band and everyone, he introduced, like, you know, Cheryl Cooper. And I'm like, holy <laughs> shit, his wife's still playing with them? And she still looks fucking good, too. Yeah. But she's yeah, a dan- she was amazing. a dancer, so I'm sure she's, like, in shape. Yeah. Yeah. She's but she's a good a woman. She got him through the, you know, blackout period. Yeah. Know? Yeah. I mean, they've Barely. been there for fucking ever. <laughs> but she did it. <laughs> it's funny. But she did it. <laughs> yeah. But, man, it was a great show, man. I mean, he, uh, it was weird. He didn't have the snake. He didn't have the snake for the show, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, he he had Jason for when he did He's Back, and I love that song, just because that's my favorite Friday the 13th movie is part six, uh, but man, that song sounds a lot better live, because they, oh, you know, God, they don't have yeah. the keyboards, they have the guitar. Yeah, um, I thought it was so cool that he brought was bringing that back in the set. Yeah, like, and just the fact that he brings Jason lot. out, too, which is it's fucking awesome. Yeah, yeah, that's that song is that the video for that song is the that's my as far as I can remember that's my earliest exposure to Alice Cooper was that song nice. the video for it mm-hmm. and right. uh, he uh, yeah they do and the band I know they do like because I know Chris you said like welcome to my nightmare uh, they do um, the band comes out and they do Devil's Food and Black Widow like instrumentally awesome. um, they also do like and then a drum solo like with a little bit of Black Juju. Um, they do that just the band. They do like an instrumental kind of jam with those two songs, which is pretty badass. And uh, then Alice comes out and does Steven with the straight jacket on. You yeah, know? he did that when I saw. I saw him at. They, yeah, they, they performed at the Grand Ole Opry. It was really weird seeing Alice Cooper oh, do Steven cool. at the Grand Ole Opry. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm sure he got a kick out of doing, that. They're still doing Roses on White Lace with like Nita's guitar solo like beforehand. That's and, so oh, awesome. That was badass. Because you know I love that album. That's a good album. Yeah. And, man, he, dude, I love Nita, man. She's a badass. And there, there's a guy on our page, and I, I love the guy. You know, uh, J- I think it's Jack Roberts, I think. Yeah. I, yeah, I, yeah he, he's like, he, like, does not like Nita. Like, he talks about, like, oh, she's not that hot, you know. And, like, I'm like, bro, are you kidding me? Like, she's gorgeous, <laughs> you know. And, and she kicks ass on guitar. I love her energy that she has, man. She just... You know, she she loves what she does, man. So she brings I a mean, great energy to that band. That's whenever a, a guy is publicly saying a girl's not that hot, 
I would say nine out of ten times, whoever he's with is probably not half as hot as the person he's saying. Oh, that for about. real, dude! <laughs> you don't think he's dating a supermodel? Come on, <laughs> yeah, probably yeah. not. <laughs> yeah, I, my, my general impression is that people that date supermodels don't have to knock other pe- women and how they look. Yeah. Well, don't not, get me wrong. Yeah. If Nita was like, if you like, if you take Nita's looks. But, like, she was just some random, like, you know, Instagram model or something. Yeah, I could see May her not being, like, that, all that. But, like, just, she's a gorgeous woman, but, like, just her attitude, her love of guitar, and, like, just the, that energy she brings on stage, and her passion for, like, music, man, just, it's, uh, like, just adds to it. She's just, she's a badass, dude. That whole band, too, is great. Like, I think, I'll even go ahead and say they're, they're even better than like rock and roll. Uh, reg, uh, I can't even pronounce the word right. Regis, Regency or whatever. Residency. Um, yeah, a- residency. Uh, <laughs> Gene and Ace Frehley's backing band. Those guys are amazing. Yeah, yeah. Even like guys. Alice Cooper's backing band, I think is just slightly better. Like just he he lets he, I like that he lets them. You know, he doesn't let have them like hold back or anything. Like he lets them like you know take control. He lets them be themselves on stage and. I mean, that's what really give, makes it a great show. He lets them be them. You know, he doesn't hold them back at all. Yeah. Phenomenal yeah. backing band. And I think Nita's... Um, I enjoyed Orianti in the band, but I think Nita fits the band a lot better than Orianti did. Yeah, I think so, too. The first, Every time I've seen Alice Cooper, it's always been with Nita. Yeah. So uh, so that's great. It's awesome that you saw that show. And we'll I'll say this, too, real quick yeah. before we, we jump in. Um, that show is in South Bend. Yeah. And it was like literally like two blocks away from my old job. I used to work at this real shitty apartment complex and it was like it's like an old high school that they turned into like loft apartments and it was just the shittiest job ever. And I was a couple blocks from there, so there's something about him like singing schools out and like singing the line like school's been blown to pieces and being across from that shitty job that I used to just hate, that I dreaded going to every day, that just made me feel good, man. Just I was <laughs> screaming that line <laughs> when he did that song. I was like, "Yeah, fucking blow it up, man!" <laughs> that's that, that's awesome. Yeah. So, uh, and we're definitely Chris. Like I said, we'll, we'll talk more about Al Cooper. This is gonna be the cheap trick out. You know, episodes. So we still <laughs> talk about Alice Cooper too much. Although I have a feeling, if you like Cheap Trick, you might like Alice Cooper too. Yeah. But, but anyway, so Chris, you know, I went like I said, I I discovered your show, you know, Decibel Geek, uh, via the RMCP. But you know, then I get caught into it. But you know, I have to say, I I listened to your episodes for the past couple of years, but I I never really did a deep dive where I heard like your first episodes. And, you don't want to hear those. <laughs> oh, yes, so, so I don't know much about the origin. If you don't mind, like getting into it a little bit, I'd be, I'm curious about how you and Aaron met and like how did how did that begin? I'll be right back, boys. Five yeah. seconds. I got to use bathroom. So it tells you how how entertaining this story is if he's taking up this. No, um, no. Nah, so, nah, uh, just, he's just been drinking a lot. That's nah, uh, all good. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll need my break in a little while. Yeah. Um, no. It's, Oh. Okay, so um, now basically the the way that it got started was like I used to be I used to well on the side I I was doing kind of rock journalism for a, a local rock website here in Nashville and just because I was I, I was getting out of being in a band I used to play in a band nobody you've heard of and well, then, what, what, um, what did you play I used to play in a band as well what did you play in I your was band? guitar player guitar player yeah. okay and um was kind of doing 
I guess more in the vein of new metal type stuff. Um, we're it's talking. Right. I, I forgive you for that. Ah, you know, <laughs> the like grunge and new metal kind of took over around the time I was in high school and in college. So, well, I like a lot of grunge. I'm kind of grunge. That's like yeah. I was a teenager was the grunge years, but yeah, I can't get behind a lot of the new metal stuff. But you yeah, know. But the, but yeah. As a as a guitar player, new metal stuff is so easy and fun to play because you just you just tune down to D and you just go off. You know, um, it's yeah. fun. It's fun music to play, um, not really challenging. But I I was doing that, but then like settled down, started a family, kind of cleaned off cleaned up off most of the drugs, and uh, I was like, well, I want to stay connected to music. So, well, actually, before that, I started writing for this website mostly because I thought it would be a good vehicle to promote my band. I was like, well, if I write for the site, I can push my band. Yeah. The band breaks up while I'm writing for the site. So then I'm like, well, maybe I'll just be a writer. Hey, what, what, always, what era is this exactly? When, uh, what stage like of the... 2004 or 5, around so there. So this is like fairly like third grade. Like the early days. <laughs> Eric is impossibly young, so it does not traumatize you, Chris. It sometimes traumatizes me. Yeah. I'll tell you how old we are when we're saying the 29-year-old is the young whippersnapper. Yeah. Um, but but he listens to music that's older and more out of date. Right. That's why like. my mom and dad were listening to more newer music than I was. I was getting into Priest and you know, cheap trick, kiss, and like you know, my dad it. was starting to listen to like System of a Down and Corn. My mom was listening to Eminem and Limp Biscuit. I was yeah, like, "What so is this crap?" Sometimes <laughs> Eric brings up stuff, and I go, "Eric, you're 29. Why are you listening to this old shit?" <laughs> uh, I was really into Limp Biscuit for a while. I oh God, I could not stand Limp Biscuit. I, I, saw them I did not times. know you were. See, I did not know you were like a new metal guy, Chris. I didn't I, know that. either. I, well, I was playing in bands that liked it, and then like I was really into the the first three Corn records. I really loved a lot, and then um, I found out through who Limp Biscuit was because I was going to see Corn in '97 at a place called the Brewery in um, Louisville. A bunch yeah. of us decided to take a road trip, and it was when Corn was promoting Life Is Peachy, and it was uh, it was Corn and Helmet was who was announced on the bill. And we but and we all loved Helmet. We used to play uh, Milk Toast in our band. I do and, like uh, Helmet. The, 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 uh, Helmet's a pretty cool band. Yeah, and um, I was honestly more psyched to see Helmet, but I was in, getting into Corn at the time. My drummer in my band, and who was my best friend, he was a giant Corn fan, and um, I, it took me a while to come around on them. But we get there. Well, actually, we got like so we got to a gas station like within ten miles of it, and then you see like the local entertainment magazine, and it mentions Corn, Helmet, and Limp Biscuit, and we all like looked at each other, and in stereo said. Who the fuck is Limp Biscuit? <laughs> and um, unfortunately, we got there to the venue too late, and Limp Biscuit had already finished. And oh Jesus! We missed them. <laughs> oh, it's too bad. But we, I but, missed the Buck Cherry when I saw Alice Cooper, but I was not, no, I was not disappointed because man, yeah, it, it, it's like life by the crowd. It's like missing the Beatles at the Cavern. Yeah, you know? well, kind of similar. But the funny thing was that when we walked in, it was right before Helmet came on, and everyone was buzzing in the crowd going. Talking about how amazing Limp Biscuit was, and we're like, <laughs> like okay. And um, I went out and bought the cassette tape of Three Dollar Bill, y'all, the the oh. next week, and loved it. And turned the rest of my band on to them. But anyway, that was that's a tangent. But so I got out of playing in a band, started writing, um, and then at the time I, I so then I was so I'm writing about all these local Nashville bands, and of course I'm getting like you know five hits ten hits on a per article and i was like well nobody's reading this shit so um there's national acts coming into town 
So from there, I interviewed um, Corey Glover from Living Color. And cool. Did a, recorded an audio phone call, and this is so fucked up because this is like 2006. I record the audio phone call, and my friend Josh Jackson, who was a local musician but also kind of a tech nerd, was like, well, what if we upload the audio and people can just play the audio and listen to the interview? And I'm like, that sounds cool. <laughs> so we did that. We put it out that way, and this is before podcasting. Yeah, um, but it was like a real player file. Do you remember? So, are you player? saying you invented the podcast? No, no, I'm not saying. That. <laughs> oh. But I'm good friends with everybody, just like any Trump. But anyway, uh, no, uh, no. I did that yep. interview with Corey. Um, they got good response, but I, then I did ri- I did transcribed interviews with John Karabi and also uh, Michael Wilton from Queensrÿche and. Ooh. Um, but like, got to know these people a little bit, and would uh, you know that of course will give me access to shows. Well, anyway, I do that for a while. It kind of fizzles out. I, I decide to start booking shows. Which, if you ever decide to book local rock shows, um, have your head examined because it's a bad oh, idea. Um, but so I did that for a while, and then I took on. I had to go back to like manual labor jobs and stuff. But then, right around this time, is when. The, the mystery of Vinnie Vincent was going on, and everybody was like, "What's going on with this guy?" And he's in hi- he's been in hiding for twenty plus years. And I was a Kiss fan, and I was, but like I I came into Kiss after Vinnie's time. I was yeah. cr- crazy nice is when I became a fan. But anyway, I started I started putting a book together on Vinnie Vincent because I had people that were on these message message boards were like my life at this time. I loved bulletin boards, and. You could get like lots of juicy stuff off these bulletin boards, and Vinny had like his share of actual stalkers, like people that like knew way more than they ever should. <laughs> and I was like, "Well, I'm a writer, so maybe I'll put a book together." So I start putting a book together on Vinny. I get over a hundred pages in on this thing. I've got recorded interviews with people. I'm gonna put a book out, and then my computer crashed, and I lost most of it. Uh, oh, but the thing was, I had started working an office job for my day job. This just shows how we all have a screw loose because, like, I can't just have a day job and enjoy my life. I have to do all this other <laughs> shit. Yeah, I, I, I hear you, brother. Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> true. So I started an office job around this time, and that's when I got my first iPod and I discovered what podcasting was. And I got into mostly comedy pod because I'm a big comedy nerd. I was uh, getting into Marin's What the Fuck podcast, uh, Corolla show, Chris Hardwick had Nerdist, and I was really into those shows. But then I was like, there's not, you know, Talking Metal was around, you know, all credit to Mark Striegel, but like there wasn't a whole lot in the way of rock and metal stuff at the time. And I was like, man, and I was like, I still have a few of these interviews on my, I had an Olympus digital recorder that you could hook up to your landline telephone to record your calls. <laughs> and I still had interviews with Ed Roman, who was a guitar builder that worked with Vinny, Rick Fox, um, several other people. I was like, why don't I just start a podcast and use some of these old interviews to start a podcast? And that's how the idea started. So really, if it wasn't for Vinny Vincent, there wouldn't be a decibel geek. Um, and I started it on my own. I did five, six in, uh, episodes including the first two Vinnie Vincent specials, on my own. Um, and then I was like, man, I don't like talking to myself that much. So back at that time, Craigslist was a real hot thing. So Yeah, I remember that. Oh, I, yeah, I remember Craigslist. I put 
a thing in the gig section, and I and I wasn't so much looking for a co-host. I was just looking for anybody. At the time, I was wanting to work on like promoting local shows still, and have people like to like street teamer type stuff to go downtown and like interview bands and people to help me out and stuff. And I had one guy helping me, and then I wanted to add more. So I was like, hey, if you're a fan of these bands, and I list like Kiss, L.A. Guns, Enough's Enough, all these bands, um, you know, give me a you know, let me know. And Aaron was one of the people that responded. I love and that. So, so you met Aaron on Craigslist. On Craigslist. You know, <laughs> oh, yeah. It wasn't in the misconnections, though. <laughs> but um, but uh, the funny thing was he lived 10 minutes away from me. That was the weirdest thing. And you didn't know him, you guys. I didn't know him. And actually another, um, I don't know if you guys have heard of him, but there's another guy who is a, he's a content creator on YouTube, and he calls himself Kimshi Chris. And he's done several things on Kiss and Vinnie Vincent. He's, he does like a video show. And he was also one of the people that answered the ad. And uh, another guy who was a local DJ that I had known for years. And we actually did a couple of shows together, and they're awful. We just had <laughs> terrible chemistry. Did you, but did Aaron you should, in your head as a Kiss fan, I'm, I'm sure, were you making parallels with the ad that Paul and Gene put out to get Ace in theater? Were you thinking uh, that? I don't think I thought that. I didn't think that deeply into it. (laughs) (laughs) Although Aaron did have two different colored sneakers. No, I'm just kidding. Um, But no, it was, uh, he showed up and, and I was talking to, and Aaron loves it. Aaron tells the story way better than I do. But, um, he showed up and my friend Mark, who was helping me out at the time with it, Aaron's telling me about his radio background and everything. And I, like I said, I wasn't really looking for a co-host, but I, then I was explaining all these things. It was honestly supposed to be more of a comedy show. I was going to do more scripted stuff. Yeah, and uh, I'm just too lazy to do it. But um, <laughs> it got to a point where he's telling me his radio background. And I'm listening to the guy talk, and I'm like, "Damn, this guy's got an amazing voice." <laughs> so does he does he use that voice even when he's just like talking normal? Pretty yeah, much. He, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, was gonna say, does he sound different when he talks to you just as a normal person? Not real. I mean, it's still the timbre of his voice is the same. I mean, he obviously he you know it's it's him plus ten on when he's on mic, but <laughs> um. But no, I mean it's still pretty much the same voice. You know, but it's enough that him. you can hear that. Oh, this guy's got a great. Oh voice. yeah, yeah. I was like, "There's radio written all over this guy," and um, and to me, I'm like, "Well, I'm a fucking idiot who doesn't know what he's doing." So I'll let, I'll take I'll let the and then I, I was like, "Well, give us a minute." And he goes outside to have a cigarette, and me and Mark, I'm like, "Well, damn, this guy's like better than than me." And uh, he comes back in, and I'm like, "Well, hey, do you want to do? Do you want to do the show with me then?" And he's like, "Yeah, what's it pay?" And I'm like, "Um, doesn't pay anything." <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, "But you know, we'll get free CDs and stuff." <laughs> but uh, yeah, that that's kind of how I got started. Wow, nice. that's great. Yeah, you know, I didn't know that. And so, but now I understand. Uh, the whole Vinnie Vincent when he, he kind of screwed you guys over rock and pod that kind of <laughs> like, sucks I, he, I understand why that was like even a bigger deal now yeah well he tried to screw me over I didn't let him <laughs> I mean that was I mean did he know about that that how much like you were like, you were a fan and you were trying to help the guy oh out. yeah dude he he well he tried to well when I put out the first two spe- before I even put out the first two specials I was posting on the whole we could do a three hour talk about Vinny, but um, that before I even put out the first two specials, before Aaron even came into the picture, I had put a post up sent on um, a Vinny Vincent fan forum that was started by fans that got thrown off his official forum because he took it over, um, and I was one of them that got tossed off. I mentioned that I was doing 
a podcast a special about Vinny Vincent, and he actually su- he threatened to sue me. Oh, uh, oh my god! This is going back to 2011, and oh yeah, there he and then you know we had Bobby Rock and Mark Slaughter and several people and Rick Fox, of course, um, people that had worked with him and not had good experiences, telling me. And Robert Fleischman really unloaded on him. Well, yeah, I don't think anyone's ever had good experiences. (laughs) Well, yeah, that's that's like what's the common denominator. And then, yeah, I mean, it's what Gene says. I mean, Gene Simmons said that he was the most self-destructive person he ever met in his life. Talented songwriter, but just don't give him the keys to your car or your house. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. like very talented songwriter, just don't work with him. But you know, but then then you know when the um, the comeback thing in 2018 was going to happen in Atlanta. Obviously, Aaron and I were like, "Well, we'd like to be a part of this, you know, we, you know, because we've been carrying the torch for this guy for all these years." Because I loved his music and his songwriting, and uh, I got in touch with his lawyer, who knew us by name, <laughs> and uh, came back and was like, "Well, we're not sure if we want you to come. We're thinking of banning you from coming. Like it, it was that bad." And uh, fucked up. Yeah. Jesus. yeah. And then we kind of sweet talked our way into it. Met him. It went well. It really well. We got along. He seemed to, he he was nice to us, but I could still tell he was guarded and like wasn't sure he could trust us. And then we got him to do the interview about the we did the albums unleashed on the first invasion record. Yeah, and um, that went really well. And that was when I hit him up about doing Rock and Pod, and he agreed. And then and then he he wasn't happy that his his ticket sales were bad. That's the real that's the real crux of the issue. Yeah, um, the demand wasn't there for him and. His manager was like, "Well, Vinny's not happy about," it. and then he found some horseshit excuse to, to yeah. hate me over some bullshit on a message board, and then decided to slag me publicly and lie about everything that went down. And uh, yeah, ever since then, um, and I had so many people come into my corner for that. Uh, yeah, like, you know, fuck Hell you. Yeah. You have no idea who you're talking about, and you know, Chris wouldn't do that, and I. I wasn't going to play ball with him trying to squeeze me for money. And that's why I was just like, well, good luck to you. I'm not going to work with you. But what pissed him off is I went on my show and I mentioned that I felt like I've been bent over because he knew I was, I was a fan. He was trying to take advantage yeah. of me. Yeah, well, no, fair enough. And I, I think everyone knows his name alive for so fucking yeah. long, you know, and praising like his, his work and whatnot. Yeah. Just for him to do that shit, that was bullshit. Even, even that Alms Unleashed episode, which I listened to, it was just annoying because all throughout the episode, you know, he, he kept like, you know, he kept being like, you know, oh, well, that's going to be in my book. Oh, I can't keep talking <laughs> yeah. about that. It's gonna it be was my hard to get book. much out of him on that. Oh, excuse yeah. me, like, oh, that's, I can't keep talking about that. It's going to be in my book. Um, I'm going to save that for the book. You know, there's never going to be a book. Here, here's a question, though. too, because you've actually been in a room with him. So, But I yeah. noticed that you used the pronoun he. <laughs> oh, boy. So I just said, so you would say. Sorry, I had to add some laughter. But you, you still would consider him a man. Technically speaking, I mean, yeah, I, yeah. I, I still think he is, yeah. But did he seem like he might be transitioning? I, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> there, there's something weird about him. I, I mean, I, I, I couldn't tell you about where he's where he's at as far as south of the border goes. I didn't check, you know. But, but, but there was something like, kind of something like kind of fluid something. fluid about well, him. Let me, you guys have seen the photos in the video. I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah, but you actually it. It looks terrifying now. Like, yeah, looks, but I'm not like grabbing his crotch to find out what's there. I mean, I, I, I like the. Uh, I, I will say the the day that we um, I was in I was um, at G, the Gene Simmons Vault event in Nashville that he showed up to. 
And, Did you pay uh, for the vault, like Ralph? Oh fuck no! Um, <laughs> no, I um I got in on a media pass because I have a friend at the local rock station. He was like, okay. I have an extra pass. My wife wants nothing to do with Gene Simmons. Oh, do you God. want it? And I was like, Yeah, I'll go. And I, um, that was awkward. I saw a video of that, and it was so awkward. Like you tell Gene's like, uh, Why the fuck did I invite this guy? <laughs> oh, dude, he. <laughs> I don't know if I want to share too much on Mike, uh, but there's. What do I care? Um, but well, no, there, share uh, what you're comfortable with. Hey, well, it's I mean, a rock all over your podcast. We've got like a hundred people listening. But I mean, what do I, what do I really care? What, what do, am I worried about? Vinny getting mad at me? Who gives a fuck? But, yeah, um, I, I will, hey, so they, they, they they start any shit, man. I well, I'll have my wife take care of him because I don't hit women. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like I heard unload, that. Chris, unload, Chris. I yeah. heard. I heard that that like there was a call made to Gene on Gene's flight from L.A. to Nashville of, well, I want X amount of thousands of dollars to show Jeez. up now. And Gene's like, go fuck yourself. And, and then it's like, well, no, well, well, okay, but I want a, a table that I can pay, get uh, people to pay for autographs. And he agreed to that. But, oh, and that did not go over well among people that were there. They were like, you know, I just shelled out two grand for... To, to Gene for this vault. I'm not paying this idiot, you know, $75 for his autograph. Yeah. Um, but that, and then also Vinny was like, you know, almost two hours late <laughs> showing up, which really irritated Gene. And apparently Kiss's lawyers were none too thrilled that Gene even invited Vinny to this thing because they're like, we have to deal with this idiot all the time. Um, <laughs> yeah. We shouldn't be working with him. And then, you know, by the time Vinny showed up and got on stage with Gene, it was time for Gene to go upstairs and sign the autographs in the vault. And Vinny's like, well, you're going to leave me here? And Gene's like, well, yeah, you're an hour and a half late. And so Gene finally got, got off stage with him. And it was like, you've seen it on YouTube. It's like one of the most awkward things ever. Oh, my God. And, yeah. And then, like, I'm, I think, you know, my friend Mike Brun, who's got a great show, um, was filming a lot of the stuff with Vinny uh, by himself on stage. And I'm standing literally right in front of Vinny. And I'm I'm requesting song after song after song because I want to hear him play some stuff. I've and never I'm seen someone look so awkward with a guitar too. And I'm requesting stuff that he should know inside and out, like from all his solo years, like stuff that was demos and stuff. And I, and like by the time I got to like the tenth request, I was like, he doesn't know how to play anymore. Yeah, you know. And uh, I kind of walked away at that point, and I just grabbed a beer. I was like, "All right, I'm I'm done." <laughs> I, still have the, I still have the T-shirt that he gave me for free, and I, which is kind of a monumental thing because he did give something away for free. He gave me a T-shirt. Jesus, he got him in a week. Be careful! Like he's going to come with lawyers. Like, hey, yeah, look at T-shirt I sent you. <laughs> I I still like that music, but like, but I do, you're like one of the few people that actually likes the Vinnie Vincent Invasion. And the guy I do like the second it. album. There's a couple good songs on the second album. Well, the first album just fucking. Ridiculous. I, no, I think the, I, the I first one's it. better. I think oh, the first one's better. I, I gotta tell you, Chris, uh, you're a stronger man than me. No, well, I don't <laughs> really. I mean, I don't listen to it really anymore because of what happened. But you know, and it's it's rare that I let you know a person being a scumbag you know affect, affect me my listening habits. But it is hard for me to listen to now. But no, yeah. I think the I love the over the topness of the first one. I think it, I still think it's great. I, uh, I I tried. I really tried with that album because I loved uh, Creatures and Licks, you know, Lick It Up so much that I really wanted to like that album. But I just couldn't. Although I do like that the song from the the Nightmare on Elm Street Four, Dream Master, Love Kills. Love Kills. I like the longer version. Yeah, there's two versions. There's one that's like 
cut the trim some of the verses out, but there's a there's the extended version which is way better. Right. I love this. This is actually the most we've ever digressed with someone, Chris, which is great because you just have all these awesome stories. Yeah, uh, yeah. But so let's leave it. So you got Aaron, you got you know Decibel Geek, you got that going. It wow. becomes just one of the the best rock and metal, you know, related podcast out there. So definitely check that out if you're one of the I don't know one or two people listening to this that haven't listened to it for some weird reason. Check out his show. But also, you are the founder and creator of Rock and Pod, and so how did that all start? How did Rock? Because that's the thing. I came into this, so I got into like the I started listening to Rock and Metal Combat podcast around 2014, 2015. So by that point, I feel like Rock and Pod had just started, or I mean, I don't know the origins, but nah, t- 2017 was the first one. Yeah. Okay, so I was paying attention. So I guess I just wasn't too observant about <laughs> when it started. So what what are the origins of of rock and pod and how did you start that up okay so, well i can't take full credit on my own for this because um really the the person that had the germ of the idea was bj cramp who runs uh rock and or roll um podcast and he also has a really great cheap trick book coming out soon which we'll talk nice. about cheap trick in a little while yeah you just did that uh, episode with him the yeah heaven to, yeah so which will i was going to lead into the cheap trick at, uh yeah but no B, bj was kind of the, the person who had the initial idea of you know it sucks that all of us are so far apart from each other we do all this stuff through skype and we never get to hang out we should have some kind of a meetup and that was the idea and and then I was like, well, yeah, it's a good idea. <laughs> and then I left it at that. And then he's like, well, where do you think we should do it? And I was like, I don't know. And he's like, well, Nashville seems, you know, is a music town. Maybe we should do it there. And then sort of by default, I became the guy because I'm the guy on the ground here. And um, I was never intending to be the main guy running it, but I just happened to be here. So, um but it was like one of those things where it was like, well, okay, if we do, if we get a podcaster meetup of all the those of us that have become friends um how are we going to pay for it and then we were like well what if we did a crowdfunding thing and it's like well if we're going to have listeners pay for the crowdfunding thing for us to meet up and hang out with each other they should be able to come too and if they're going to come too they should get more than just watching us hang out with each other so why don't we have some vinyl vendors and because you know vinyl was really getting hot around that time and um i knew people that ran record shows so i was like well i'll talk to people that run record shows get some dealers in and then also through thankfully to through decibel geek i've interviewed michael wagner and all these other rock guys that live here in nashville so i started calling in favors and i'm like hey would you come down to this and meet up with some podcasters do some do an autograph signing and um, do an interview or a panel on stage, and it just organically turned into a convention. But it wasn't going to be a convention initially. No, interesting. So it just started off to me, but it kind of it kind of snowballed really quick because I I know by the time we were like in the second one or like the third one, it, it kind of blown up to be this big thing. Yeah, well, yeah, we did the first one we did in like this. Uh, it was called Music Valley Event Center. It was like a dirt mall thing, and. Um, which was actually an upgrade over the place I initially put a deposit down on. That was a $700 mistake. But um, that place was in, like, the crack crack, crack part of town. Okay. Um, and I was like, 
I learned that lesson. But he has like, you know, if he wanted to pick up a bag of crack at a hooker and go to a convention, it would have been perfect. But um, yeah, a lot of, it wouldn't be good because a lot of the old rock stars might get tempted and go out. Yeah, well, before you know, know they're smoking crack and not showing up. Any, I mean, Ian and Ralph would have loved it, but um, uh, no, it was. Uh, it, we wound up Music Valley Event Center it was good for what it was, but it was one room. We were all crammed in there. The stage was falling apart, um, but it worked out, and it was. There was something magical about the first time, you know. It was like it was very low rent, but we did it, and we all had a good time. And it was like, you know, I'm sure you guys are more from more than from more than familiar with Ken Mills, who's run podcasts and cheap. Of course, talk the Podfather. Yeah, I did a so, the first episode of the Rock and Metal Combat podcast I ever did was with Ken Mills. It was oh, the per, the Prince tribute. Yeah. So, did, but he's a huge Cheap Trick fan. Oh yeah, well. yeah. runs a Cheap Trick podcast M- more um, so than you, Chris. <laughs> yeah, I'm not like a giant keeper, but um, but no, he, he um, you know, he had been doing podcasts with Gary Schaller for like a How decade many, at that. Yeah, doesn't point. he have like several? I know he's got the Monkeys one. How many podcasts yeah. does Ken Mills have? For real, seventeen, I think. Um, oh, wow, shit. no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> but uh, but like he'd been doing podcasts with Gary for like a decade, and podcasts was one of the first podcasts I ever listened to, and uh, that was so cool, like those two getting to like hug each, hug each other and see each other for, in person for the first time ever that weekend you know it was a lot of that so yeah it might be the it, next uh with the next one the upcoming one might be the first time eric and me are in a room together uh dude i'm gonna meet so many people for the first time at that yeah. one i you know i'm kind of happy that it was moved to spring because one it's it's like a chance for me and edwin to kind of build up our podcast where we come down there representing it and two it's just it's better because I know August, you know, August is when me and my wife have our anniversary. So it's, and you know, there's so much going on in August. That's, it's always been hard for me to make it down and spring. I feel it'd be such a good time to go down. And, you know, I think the weather would be nice too, because it's, you know, it's still spring. So it's still not like overly hot, not overly right. cold. I, I think spring's a good, good call. I think that that could end up being like a good time for it just to be like every year. Yeah, I was uh, I was afraid that people were going to be angry, but like it's been overwhelmingly positive, and you know, and I had a few reasons for for delaying it. Um, yeah. So, uh, do you mind getting into that a bit? Uh, what sure. Was, yeah. Um, I mean, the biggest one was like uh, my daughter's, uh, our youngest kid is uh, graduating high school this year, so it was like, nice. and like I don't know, I mean, Rock and Pod. As much as I love it, and I love how much fun people have at it, it it's it is soul sucking at times, and um, the amount of hours that I have to put into it is kind of crazy. So it was kind of like I need a break. <laughs> it was like you know, after you know, with with my daughter graduating and she's getting ready to go off to college, my other my older two have moved out of the house years ago. So it's like my wife and I are on the verge of being empty nesters, aside from our dog. So it's like let's make. Let's make the most of this time while we can. And we have a lot of family stuff planned for this year, a lot of travel planned for this year, and also you know some selfish travel stuff between me and my wife, too. Well, especially um, after the pandemic and everything yeah. going through, you, you want to go around and travel and do shit with your family yeah. and loved ones. It makes sense. And uh, we, you know, we went to New Orleans last year and had a great time with Ian and his better half, and uh, we're planning on doing that again in the fall. So... Uh, uh, you know, I gotta have some selfish time to myself, but yeah, but then I was like, well, why don't we just do it next, next April? And also I was trying to do, um, I typically do hotel deals, um, not to get too deep into this, but like, 
typically in the past it was you tell a hotel, hey, I want your venue space for this day. And they say, okay, you sell X amount of hundred of hotel rooms for two nights and we'll cover your venue space. So it's like, you know, you we sell the rooms and we're covered and we're good and we can make money. Well, the pandemic screwed that up because the hotels lost so much money that now they're, the deals I was being offered were insane. Yeah. And they were basically, unless I'm independently a millionaire or backed by corporate funding, um, I can't make it work. So uh, I will, I can go ahead and tell you guys, because I mean, all I'm waiting around on is getting insurance paperwork filed, but it's pretty well decided that Rock and Pod will be next April 15th. At, yeah. Uh, Sweet. And it'll be at uh, the Nashville Fairgrounds in a, in a brand new building that they put in. And the biggest room we've had so far has been 8,000 square feet at a Marriott hotel. The room that we're going to is 36,000 square feet. Ooh, wow. Oh, so yeah. We're really stepping it up, and uh, I'm going to have to get creative on how to fill that space, but we're going to have more podcasters, cosplayers, panels, karaoke. It's going to be insane. Nice. Well, yeah, uh, I'm it, trying. I'm Eric trying and me to... will definitely go, so, yeah. uh, so that's two right there. <laughs> Awesome. I'm trying, man. I know a friend that's close with Lizzie Bourne, man. I'm trying to trying to get Lizzie Bourne down there. Not just for you, but just for the fact that I'd love to fucking meet Lizzie Bourne. And, well, and... I, I'm i trying to get him just to come on Decibel Geek because I sent him a message and I'm like, hey, you know, yeah. like, we're not Joe Rogan. We don't have Joe Rogan numbers, but we have pretty respectable download numbers. And I'm giving him yeah. the history of the show and I'm like, hey. The you people know, that listen to Lizzie Bourne are going lis- to listen like, to it. I was like, you know. Let's do an episode on the making of Visual Eyes, and he yeah, reads and it. He's he never fucking responds. He's so odd. He's, that really, he's not that okay. Nothing. I know you guys are fans, but you know, Lizzie, but like, he's a very cult loved artist. He's not yes. that big. He's kind of a niche artist. You'd think these guys would be so receptive. It's like the Vinnie Vincent thing. It's odd. Like you'd think they'd be so receptive when someone is trying to help them out and expand them. I know. Expand I'm trying friends. to. And I'm, I was going to use that as the springboard to try to bring him out for Rock and Pod because next year is the anniversary of the uh, Decline Two movie. Yep. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Because don't you got like, aren't you friends with uh, what's his name from uh, from London, uh, Nader the Priest? <laughs> I wouldn't say we're friends, but I mean, yeah. I, it's funny. I I do have an interview with I him and Brian on Facebook, and I'm friends with him too. That'd well, I mean, awesome. yeah, Facebook. I'm Facebook friends with everybody, but um, but no. <laughs> It's fun. That's a funny. Uh, can I go off on another tangent real fast? Go for it. Oh, yeah, yeah, go, go for, for it. it. Yeah. So, it was like I've got like several interviews I've held back since 2011 for some dumb reason that um, that all relate to the Decline Two movie. Um, Ricky Rackman and uh, like Nader and Brian actually came into Nashville to perform because the guy, this guy Sean, that was their guitar player at the time um, for London, is a lawyer. And they were doing a lawyer's convention at the Grand Ole Opry. And London was going to play the Grand Ole Opry. I still remember this. Damn. And we had only been doing the podcast for like a year at the most. And we go out to this apartment complex and we <laughs> interviewed Nader and Brian. And uh, I mean, I, I'm sure you guys are both very familiar with their segment in the movie. And yeah. I remember... Yeah. <laughs> I pissed off Brian because I looked, and this is, I was a lot more cocky in the early days of the podcast before I realized, <laughs> oh, you can't just say whatever you want. 
And um, he was trying to be all serious. And I was like, hey, does your dick still get hard for gold cards? <laughs> he just he laughed for a second, then he got this really pissed off look on his face. And I was like, oh, I just pissed him off. Oh, so he did a, he did a Will Smith. He laughed and then got angry. Yeah, I didn't get slapped, though, so that was good. Oh, good. But, uh, but, like, and then we went out, and, like, they played this place called 12th and Porta that's a club that's not even open anymore um, that night, and... Nader was still in decent shape, but not in good enough shape to be wearing the halter top that was skin tight oh, that he was wearing. I've seen and, pictures on his Facebook of him still wearing those like uh, oh. those shirts, and it's like, oh man, dude, I don't know if he should be wearing that yeah, right now. There's children. <laughs> he's got a gut hanging out, and he's got sequin blue royal blue pants on, and there was maybe thirty of us in the room. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> but I still have the interview, and like the interview is actually really funny. I don't know why I've never really I've got it on. Oh, like, you got to post that. Yeah. yeah, you should post that. Totally. Like, oh, yeah. I, I was like trying to collect interviews over time, and then put out like this big decline too special but like i don't know i need to find him but yeah like that was but that's the last time i talked to nader yeah i get the wet cherry guy too yeah. oh dude i'll tell you uh, let me give you another tangent so i i was going to nam in 2017 and i found that guy on facebook Holy, i i have i'm friends with him on facebook he's on yeah. the rock all over you page <laughs> resumiri right yep and, oh uh, is he on our page he's on our page man the wet cherry guy hey if you're listening to this man hey uh, I, I named my band in uh, high school Wet Cherry because of that dude. Because of him, <laughs> yeah. But, like I, you know, and I got into him through the mostly through the Metal Sludge gossip boards because that's where everybody would talk about him. But uh, you know, I remember him from the movie, of course. And then uh, I was like, but I found I don't remember how it was I found him, but I somehow found him through Google searches of like connecting it that that's the guy from Wet Cherry from the movie. And I find him on Facebook. I friend him on Facebook, and I see that he's doing all this like Marilyn Mansonish, you know, gothy stuff. Yeah. And I was like, "Hey, I'm coming in Nam. I do this podcast. I would love." And I, at this time, I was still collecting interviews. And I was like, "I'd love to have you talk about Decline too." And he agreed to do it. He was like, "We were going to meet at the Rainbow and everything, and and do an interview about it." And he fucking flaked on me when I got oh. there. Oh man. I haven't you talked to, to him. So you went to the ra- so you traveled to L.A. in the Rainbow to do this. Yeah, I actually had lunch with um, Moose, who was one of Kiss's original roadies at the Rainbow. Oh, that's awesome. Well, you know that's nice. one of my hangouts. I, I live in West Hollywood. The Rainbow. But, yeah. When was the last time you've been in L.A.? 2017. That was the only time I got oh, to go. Shit. Yeah, okay. Well, obviously, if you're in L.A. again, hit me up. Well, uh, I, I might oh, be coming oh, next year for Nam. Well, there so, you go. Yeah, I'll well, I'll be in town then, probably. I, I can't say what month. Uh, in anyway. April, you know, uh, in the spring, I'm going to be in Nashville. Uh, I don't know how long. I mean, Nam will, Nam will be January. no avoiding it. Surrender. But don't give yourself away to anything but Cheap Tricks' new album, Heaven, tonight on Epic Records and Tapes. Hey, tits and clits. Okay, <laughs> we're back. So, we're all drinking, we're having a good time. What do you drink about it, wait, Eric? Uh, I was doing some, I had some Jaeger bombs, but now I'm just doing Jaeger because I've ran out of the bomb. 
So now it's just Jaeger. <laughs> and Chris, you're drinking a hard cider, Chris? What are you drinking? Hard seltzer. It's a hard rare seltzer. man's Oh, drink. God. Okay. But, you know, Sorry. It's hard. Hard <laughs> rock, hard seltzer. Yeah, and it's hard. I'm drinking. I'm drinking some Johnny Walker Black Label. Right. And nice. so let's you know get into it. the men in the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> hey, one of us has to do it. The burden. Edwin's burden. So anyway... So the cheap trick thing came up. It's interesting. It was Eric's idea. I don't know if you remember this, Eric, but it was about two months ago. This was when you and me, Chris, were exchanging messages about when to schedule. Maybe, you know, you would come on the show when you couldn't make it on the show. And then one week, Eric's like really getting into heaven tonight. Like you were like, just listen to this album all week long. And you were like, we got to do heaven tonight. Yeah. And, and so I just like, you know, because I have a mind, I'm not, A, I'm OCD. And B, I'm a writer, so I store I store information. So in one side of my brain, I'm thinking we gotta get Chris on the show one of these days, and then the other side of my brain, I'm thinking cheap trick heaven tonight as a future episode. And then the the two things seem to combine because like the week you finally said, Chris, like yeah, let's do it, happened to be the same week uh, Decibel Geek did your uh, best like favorite and worst song from an from a cheap trick album from the seventies. Yeah. And so I just not be. I just said, "Boom, let's just get you know Chris to do the cheap trick one." I didn't, need, you know, I hadn't listened to the episode yet, so I didn't know what your feeling was about the album. I just knew that he was talking about cheap trick, so that would be kind of a good segue into this episode. And I held back actually because I really wanted to listen to this episode because I'm a huge cheap trick fan. But I I purposely held back and said, you know what, I'm not going to listen to this Disciple. Uh, geek episode until the night before we do the show with Chris. So I just listened to this episode last night. It, it's a great episode. Everyone should Thank listen you. to it. It's a great episode. I like that you did that with uh, Judas Priest before. Yeah, yeah, we've done a couple. We did one with Motley Crue also. Yeah, I did listen to the Motley Crue one. I, I did listen to the Judas Priest one, and I thought it was great. And I gotta say, I was I was a little surprised, and it sounds like you're kind of used to this, people being surprised that you're not a bigger Cheap Trick fan, because of your music taste, like, just kind of, I don't know, for whatever reason, because you seem to like melodies and hooks a lot, mm-hmm. I just kind of thought you'd be a, a bigger Cheap Trick guy than you were. So I was a little surprised that you were just kind of a, maybe a little more than a casual fan, but you're definitely I'm- not, not a diehard. Yeah, I mean, I, I am a fan. I mean, like, I, I own several records by them, but... I don't know, like, a, you know, between Ken Mills and BJ Cramp and, like, all these other friends of mine that just go gaga over them, I, it, every, I'm just like, yeah, they're okay. I mean, like, I mean, the, the stuff I, that I like by them, I like a lot. And this album, Heaven's Night, has my absolute 100% favorite Cheap Trick song on it, um, which we'll get to. But It's your favorite album, too, isn't it? I think, well... It, well, that's it, what you said on the episode. I yeah, think. I mean, between this one and In Color, it goes back and forth. But yeah, I'd say this one's probably the best one. Um, but no, I just... But yeah, like, it's one of those bands where, like, I should be super over the moon about them, but I'm just not, you know? And there's, like, there's a few songs on this record that I think are throwaway songs, and we'll get to that. Yeah, mm-hmm. actually, I was... Uh, did you see my... Uh, you know, I did a Cheap Trick discography review as well, and... Uh, if you should watch that, Chris, if you haven't. But you, you, essentially, you pissed all over my very favorite Cheap Trick song. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> but it's all right. I'm not one of these guys that gets butt hurt, you know, yeah. hurt because you don't like the same thing I like. I, you know, I laughed, actually. I thought it was funny. But, yeah, I'm a um, Need Your Love guy. Need Your Love is actually my oh, favorite. Yeah. That song is sexy. <laughs> Ugh. 
<laughs> yeah, it, Chris is just like does nothing for him. <laughs> no. But uh, yeah, there's a couple songs on this one that do nothing for me too. I'm with uh, you, Chris. I think you and I may agree a little I, bit. I, I know about one of the songs is definitely. Uh, well, we'll get into it when we get into it. I'm very excited. <laughs> Because that's the thing is on this episode, this thing now. What do you call it? The worst and best, or best? The and best least? and worst of seventies cheap trick is what that one was. Yeah, and it's so it's best and worst. So what they do is they they don't review the whole album. They just huh. review. They just say what their favorite song is and what their least favorite song. Is. I mean, we still kind of in a roundabout way review all of them. Anyway. You do. You do kind of cheat. You know, BJ was definitely cheating a lot. <laughs> don't be, ask BJ to be brief about talking about cheap trick. Good luck. <laughs> yeah, he's like BJ was like, uh, "This is my favorite song," but I also like this song, this song, this song, and this yeah. song. <laughs> uh, and BJ, he was also in the Vieira Vault, I believe. He did. Another. I think so. Yeah. yeah. And he's great. So I'm looking forward to that book when that finally comes out. But yeah. definitely check out that Decibel Geek episode. But now we're going to go into painful detail, track by track with this album, Heaven Tonight. But one last, one more preamble before we get into it. So even though you're not the biggest Cheap Trick fan, I'm kind of curious about your introduction to Cheap Trick because you didn't really talk about this so much in the episode. Uh, and how'd you got into them? And was it with like lack of luxury? I mean, when did you first hear of Cheap Trick? I swear, I get into bands at the worst times possible in hindsight. <laughs> so, so with me saying it that way, what song do you think introduced me to Cheap Trick? I would guess the Flame. Yeah, you are one hundred percent correct. <laughs> um, so I mean, like, I'm the mid '80s is when I kind of like started really paying attention to hard rock and metal and all that stuff. So, and actually it was my father, God rest his soul, that um, got into Cheap Trick around the time The Flame came out. And then The Flame was everywhere. You couldn't get away from that song. Um, yeah. It was a yep. big hit. And it's a great, it's a well-written song. That's not really a Cheap Trick song. And I know uh, Rick Nielsen still hates it to this day, but it's a great ballad. Um, and then after that, I remember uh, the Don't Be Cruel video. Yeah, that got played a lot. That's actually when they really fell under my radar. For whatever yeah. reason, as big as the... Like, I remember the song, The Flame, being yeah. played. Like, I would hear it, like, in a mall or something when I was walking around. But right. I don't recall that video so much. Uh, but no, I, I don't remember the video that much, but... I remember yeah, but, Don't Be Cruel on MTV a lot. I remember seeing that video a lot. And that's yeah. when that they kind of fell under my radar. Which was kind of funny because, you know, it's an Elvis song, but... And, like, there's that whole age-old debate, are you an Elvis man or a Beatles man? Um, but, like, Cheap Trick, if you go aside from Don't Be Cruel, they're a Beatles Beatles. Oh, yeah, definitely more oh, of a yeah, Beatles Oh, yeah, they remind me a lot of the Beatles. But wow. the, the thing is, they're kind of once removed that way, though, because even though there is that debate, the thing is, the Beatles were influenced by Elvis. Sure. So yeah, you're I mean, only it all kind goes of like back one... to Elvis in the end, really. Yeah, it kind of goes back to Elvis anyway. So you can be more of a Beatles fan, but still, without knowing it, be kind of an Elvis fan, too. Yep. Yeah. But I mean, that was, I mean, the mid 80s, the, when The Flame and Don't Be Cruel, that was when I first got in. That's when I first knew of who they were. Did you like them when you heard that stuff? Yeah, I loved, I loved the Don't Be Cruel cover. I thought it was great. It's <laughs> a good, I, I think it's all right. I think it's I, a good cover. But I was like, that was the that was the period of time where, you know, everybody that, that grows up, even before they become a dyed in the wool metalhead, they're a pop fan. I mean, you can't yeah. help but like pop music. Yeah. So. The Flame and, and Don't Be Cruel were great to me. So, um, 
But I liked them, you know, but it was also more of like, well, my dad likes them, so I don't know if I want to like them. But, uh, so that was part of it, too. But, like, I didn't really take them seriously until probably in the 90s. Um, more so, you know, and it was, I hate to say this, like, because I, I, I try to pride myself on not being just a Kiss fan, but, like, Kiss also introduced me to so many other bands, and Cheap Tricks and Kiss Lore was an opening band, you know, for Kiss, so... Yeah, and they mentioned yep. Kiss in Surrender. So <laughs> right. part of that. <laughs> so, I mean, that was kind of when I was like, well, I need to listen to more of their stuff. That's when I heard Surrender, and I Want I want You to Want Me really had a resurgence in the 90s. I remember that it used to get a lot of airplay. So Yeah, that, I remember hearing that a lot, too. So that was, was kind of around the time that I took them more seriously, but yeah, the, the Flame and Dolby Cruel was when I first kind of got into them. And what about you, Eric? When did you, you young man, when did you get into Cheap Trick? Was it your well, father? Uh, no, it wasn't my dad. My dad, he got me more into like the heavy metal bands, and my mom was more like the one that would get me into the hard rock, classic rock kind of bands. Yeah. So I discovered Cheap Trick through my mom, and you know, I I got to know the hits like everyone. You know, I want you to want me, uh, surrender, um, the flame, dream police. Uh, just the hits, and uh, I just remember they. I just remember their look because my mom had a lot of their vinyl, especially like in color. She had on vinyl. And I just remember like the. I, I was always fascinated by their look because they had the two pretty boys like who looked like rock stars with the long hair, and they had the two weird looking dudes that like did not look like they should be in a fucking rock band. You know, you had the. You know, you had Rick Nielsen. That, he was like real. This like Poindexter nerdy looking guy, but also he yeah. looked kind of creepy too. He looked like the kind of guy like, you know, he looked like the kind of guy that was like nerdy, but then he'd be like, you know, like climbing a ladder through a cheerleader's window, spying on her. <laughs> yeah, and then you had Bunny so Carlos, like, who looked like you know thirty years older than all the other guys in the band. You know, he looked that's like true. A, he, he looked, looked like, like a, a, a band something like the band. Yeah. Account. And uh, even my mom mentioned that to me. She was like, you know, I was looking at her vinyl, trying to pick out something to listen to, and I think I pulled out Cheap Trick, and she was looking at the album cover, and she's like, oh, man, when I was a teenager, I remember looking at this album cover, looking at the front, and being like, wow, these guys look so good, and turning over the back, and, oh, these guys look so, so fucking nerdy, you know? And uh, I, I always love that look about them. It's almost like, in a way, it's kind of like an image thing, like with Kiss, where you got, like, these two stereotypical-looking, like, rock star guys, and then you got the two oddball dudes that are just like you know in themselves they're like almost like cartoon characters because they had like this weird distinguishable look um even the show i watched called uh this show robot jones i watched which was like a cartoon from like that took place in the 80s they i think they kind of like took a nod to cheap trick because the kids go to this assembly and there's a band playing and they mentioned like oh man this band's kind of cool like the guitar player and the you know, the singer looked kind of cool, but man, the, uh, you know, the bass player looks like he works at a gas station and isn't the drum, that drummer, he looks like your fucking dad and they show his dad and he looks like Bunny Carlos. So I think it was kind of <laughs> a nod to like Cheap Tricks look, the two rock stars, then the two weird looking guys. So I always love that look and, but it took me a while. It's really, really, um, the past three years is really when I've been kind of diving into Cheap Trick, like going beyond the hits because they're a band where their sound it's you know I think Ian Wiley said it's like they're too they sound like a little too popish for like metal fans but then they're a little too heavy for like you know popular you know fans so I think like that kind of alienates them from a lot of people like a lot of people giving them like a chance 
But man, if you really dive into their music, they have so much great material that goes beyond the flame, surrender, and I want you to want me. They got a lot of good material, which you know I'll obviously dive deeper into as we go track by track. But really great band that I've really been getting into a lot lately. Yeah, and what, what what's your favorite album? Is it this one? No, this is the funny thing is there's a lot. This is a great album, but it probably would be my least favorite of like the classic era. Which what? for me, the classic era is like first album till like uh, all shook up. Uh, I, I I think it's just the first four albums. I mean, unless you count the live album. I know. count all shook up, but at me that's biased because that's probably my uh, second favorite cheap trick album. But this probably would be my least favorite, but it's still a good album. But it definitely has like more songs that I'm not too crazy about as opposed to like the other albums. But still a great album. Yeah, uh, I'm one of those, even though I, I know, Chris, you're not a huge... I mean, you liked it, but you don't love it like some people. The first Cheap Trick album, that mm-hmm. I'm definitely a first Cheap Trick album guy. Yeah, I'm part of that cult. I do love the first album. That's my number one favorite Cheap Trick album. But my second and third favorite Cheap Trick albums change a lot. It's always bouncing between this and Dream Police. This and Dream Police are kind of always battling it out. When I did that video, Dream Police was winning. <laughs> so I, that so is I a great made, record. I mean, yes, as long as none Dream of you were, as long as none of you are picking the Doctor, we're good. Oh, oh no! Although, although I okay, I'll just say this: I, the Doctor definitely not one of their better albums, but it has a charm to it that if you've listened to it enough times and give it a chance. There, no. like, like, Take Me to the Top is a beautiful song. No, I, I really don't want to hang up, Edwin. Don't do this to me. <laughs> I, I need to see a doctor after listening to that fucking album. I t- take Me to the Top, I think, is a, one of the most beautiful pop rock songs ever written. There are some good songs on it. Now, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of shit. And there's a lot of nonsense on it. And there's even some good songs that are ruined by the production and the keyboards on it. Uh, it's definitely not a perfect album. It's very wonky. But it there there it. I'm just saying, there's some gems in it in, amongst the bullshit. It, you no. really are a fan, aren't you? I am. Jesus, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's like saying, like, oh, I found uh, the engagement ring my dog ate after he shit it out. You know, it's like it's still buried in a turd. Do you really want that diamond ring back? I, I, I got to tell you, half of it, I, uh, Robin Zander is one of my all time favorite vocalists. That guy, I mean, even like, I don't like. It's my twin. The Flame, I'm not a big fan of that song. But. Robin Zander, he fucking sings the shit out of it. He makes it something better than it need, should be. Like, you know, it just sounds like kind of a boring, average corporate rock Oh, and nobody else could pull off the vocal yeah. he does on that. But, yeah. but he he just makes it sound so soulful and moody. Yeah. And, 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 and so, like, even, like, it's kind of like that. Like, the Doctor isn't a kind of half-ass, jerk-off, quasi-new wave rock album from the mid 80s but you know Xander just fucking adds he inserts a lot I got there was like some fans on that cheap trick video I did that were like all you do is talk about Xander you don't talk about Rick Nielsen enough and it's just like listen I love Rick Nielsen he's great songwriters great guitars but ultimately the thing that really pushes cheap trick over the edge especially when you look it's at the Robin. It's yeah. It's Robin. It's Robin's is the star of that. I love Rick Neil. I'm a guitar player. I love yeah. Rick Nielsen. Great player. I love Tom Peterson's playing. I think Bunny's a great drummer. But come on, Cheap Trick is yeah. not Cheap Trick without Robin Zander. Yeah. yeah, he's he's the thing that really makes him special, in my opinion. He pushes yeah. them over the edge. That even when they have mediocre songs, Robin elevates those songs. 
True. It's one, he's one of the greatest vocalists of the 20th century. And he's and, my father. Yeah. <laughs> For those, I, I got posted on the page. I, I posted a picture. I, <laughs> I When I had long hair and no beard, I looked like Robin Zander. Like, especially on this album cover, like, you know, if you find pictures of me as a teenager, that's literally, like, a exact replica of me. Like, yeah. I wish I, I had a voice, though. Yeah, you don't have a well, voice. Didn't you, you have to look, he's didn't a you, handsome you, man, Eric Jordan. Then yeah. you, you need to come to Rockin' Pod as a guest. I'll, I'll announce you as Robin Zander the same way I'm going to do Ian Wadley as Vince Neil. Yeah, I'll put on a wig and shave my beard, and yeah, it'll be, hey, Robin Zander's here. Yeah, see, so yeah, right. I, I, I get guests on the cheap. Uh, <laughs> we're going to segue into this album with me just saying one thing, which is going to be shocking. I don't, no, you might think this is, uh, you might not like hearing this, Chris. Um, I'm, not the, I'm not the biggest fan of Surrender. I, oh, he's ooh. insane. Yeah, no, no, don't well, get I, me wrong. Objectively, I hear that it's a great anthem rock song. I get it. I get why it's one of their more famous songs. And I like it. And I love it in the context of the album. Don't get me wrong. I think it's a great opener. And it kind of gets the party going. But it's it's one of my least favorite songs from the album. I uh, To me, this album is all about the D-Tracks. And it's a, it's a really good song. I get it. But it's never. I was never a big fan of their hits. I gotta tell you, I stayed away from Cheap Trick for a long time because I just kind of thought their hits were all so-so. It wasn't yeah. until I started listening to the albums and start listening to the deep tracks that I really got kind of obsessed with Cheap Trick. So, mm. yeah, so that's where I'm at. Like, I just was never a big. Like, I remember hearing Surrender like in the '90s and thinking like it's an all right tune, but I don't know. It just really it didn't inspire me to buy the album and listen to it. It wasn't until years later that I started to get into it. And it was more some of these other songs that we're going to talk about are the songs that got me excited about Cheap Trick. But I do like Surrender. I like it. I get it. I understand why it's such a big song. But there is part of me that's also like, why just like why are there only like three or four Cheap Trick songs that people talk about? Like, to me, this album has so many great songs that people should be talking about. And yet, Surrender is the only one that most of the population would know about. And so, I don't know. So, so because of that, I might have a little bias against it because I'm just like, I'm rooting for all the other songs. But it is a classic song. You know, it, I can hear it's a great song, but it's not one of my favorites. But what do you think about Surrender, Chris? I, I think it's one of the greatest rock anthems ever written. I'm like, I'm not even a big Cheap Trick fan. Even I know the greatness of this song. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure everybody that's on this call saw the movie Detroit Rock City, the Kiss movie. That yeah, came out. and oh, yeah. the the scene where they're doing the montage of the the, the guys in the car you know rolling into detroit and surrenders blasting and they're getting excited for the concert that's all i mean that sums it up i um of all the songs cheap picked it and maybe yeah because it's a single you don't like it but i don't know i think this is one of the best things they ever wrote and the melody's perfect i wouldn't change a thing about this song i think it's one of the best things they ever did like I said, objectively, I can hear it. And it's not just because it's a single. I mean, obviously, like, I mean, I love, like, one of my favorite albums of all time is Back in Black, you know. And I'm not, like, just because it's popular. I'm not one of those guys. I'm not being counterculture. I do think it's a great song. I'm just saying that, personally, it's never... There's a lot of songs here that resonate with me more. That's all. all right. I think it's a good album opener. I kind of feel like... The 
It's like, like the Hello, it's like the Hello Kitties of this album. Well, I don't like that song. Yeah, yeah. you probably heard all that song. And yeah, like, BJ <laughs> still gives me shit about that. Well, but, to me, they're kind of similar. They're kind of well, just the the rocking anthem that opens up the album. No, this has a way better melody than Hello Kitties does. Um, but no, I, I don't know this one. The, although the the lyrics are a little strange. I mean, it's like you know, it's talking about venereal disease and shit. So, <laughs> um. And, like, actually on a KISS message board that I frequent, um, they were talking about, I guess some people thought that the, the whole thing about rock and roll and rolling numbers got my KISS records out was about the kid playing the KISS records to not hear his parents making out, which the truth is it's about the parents got the KISS records out, and that's why they're... I better do that shit before. Yeah, that's, that's why I always... <laughs> yeah, I interpret it as, yeah, the parents had the KISS records. That right. was the whole thing. The parents were going through some midlife it's like, crisis. Yeah, and shattering yeah. the illusion of what you think is cool. Yeah, like they were, like, stealing the kids' shit and partying. Yeah. But I mean, even aside from the KISS connection, of course, the KISS connection is, a, growing up a KISS fan, that's what got me into the song, but... No, I just, I just think this song is, it's a perfect time capsule for the, you know, the late seventies, and I think it's a perfect song to open the record. What, what do you think of it, Eric? You know, when we, when we made it official that we were going to do this episode, I was thinking to myself, like, fuck, do I really need to hear "Surrender" again? And <laughs> I thought to myself, well, I'll listen to it, you know, the first go around while I listen to the album in its entirety to. Get you know to study for this this episode, and after that I'll probably just skip it. Um, and I hadn't heard Surrender in a long ass time because uh, for me it, it, it's a burnout factor. This is one of the only cheap trick songs you hear along with "I Want You to Want Me" in the Flame, and maybe occasionally Dream Police. Um, but also too, there's burnout not just from the radio, but you know because I'm a lot younger, you know there's Guitar Hero fatigue. Guitar Hero was real big when I was in middle school, and this song was on Guitar Hero. So I, anytime I had friends over, we played Guitar Hero, and this is a song you'd hear all the time because you'd be playing Guitar Hero. So I, I was really burnt out on this song. I hadn't heard it in a long-ass time. But when I listened to it for the first time uh, to get ready for this episode, um, man, it just blew me away to the point where right before this episode came on, I had to listen to Surrender like five fucking times before we did this episode because... It's so good. It's it's a catchy song, and yeah, it is a little. There's a little bit of burnout, but it's just such a fun song. I love it, and I'm glad Chris mentioned you know uh, Detroit Rock City because there's two movies I think of when I hear this song, and no, not one of them. One of them is not fucking Daddy fucking Daycare. I'm talking about two good movies, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but Detroit Rock City and Over the Edge are two movies I think of when I hear Surrender. And I even made a point when I saw Alice Cooper, when I knew I was, like, real close to where I needed to be to see the Alice Cooper concert, I had to play Surrender, because it reminds me of, like, that moment in the movie where they, they're in Detroit, and they know they're, like, about to see Kiss, and the, just that excitement before a concert. It's a fun song. I love, you know, the men, the nod to the Kiss records. So there you go, Kiss Tards. You know, there's some, there's some Kiss stuff for you for this episode. It's a fun song, man. There's a reason this shit's played so goddamn much because it's a amazing song. It's so catchy. I love the way, all that melody in the verses, you know, and uh, uh, you know the keyboards underneath are so catchy. Phenomenal song, and I'm I'm glad I I listened to it and didn't just skip it because I realized you know how much 
I've kind of got like a new love for this song now. Like I said, I played it five times before the episode, so great fucking song, man. Not my favorite off the album though. That's still that's still gonna come up soon. Great song. So Edwin, why don't you talk about the next song, "Top of the World"? Okay, now we're talking again. I don't dislike Surrender. I think it's a great song. It's just not one of my favorites on the album, that's all. But On Top of the World, however, is. I'd say this might be, like, my third favorite song from the album. Third or fourth. It's up there. Man, what an awesome song. I mean, this is um, kind of the ultimate Cheap Trick song to me, more than Surrender. This, like, is the song that kind of sums up what Cheap Trick does best. It's both really heavy and rocking, but yet very melodic and so uplifting and the the way the song shifts and moves and oh it's it's perfect it's one of the greatest songs ever written it's you know like, like it, it starts off i love how it kind of starts off it's like kind of half like you hear like like it, it starts off like the song's like already in progress yeah if you know what i mean like it's <laughs> this hot recording you hear like the drums already kind of starting and then it kind of goes in and and that the sound of the guitars man awesome but then when it gets to that chorus, it's just soaring. It's soaring. It's beautiful. It's like hard to imagine people constructing this in a studio. You know, it's just so perfect and organic and beautiful. It's one of the greatest rock songs ever written. I love On Top of the World. It's it's masterful. What do you think of it, Chris? I do like this song. I mean, some of the lyrics are, are pretty profound. Then he got religion and she got a god and it's on her back and it's in his job. <laughs> there's um there's some cool stuff on this one. Um I don't I I don't think it outshines Surrender as a song. I do like it. I mean I think it's a great second track for the for the album. Um but no I I'll never skip this one. I uh I think it fits perfectly as far as the album goes. And um but no, I think it's got uh, it's got great lyrics, and I think uh, well, I don't even know who wrote the lyrics for this one. Did uh, I, I'm guessing Rick, it says all tracks are written by Rick Rick Nielsen. I guess Rick Nielsen wrote most of this stuff. Back then. Yeah, but this, other members. Yeah, but this isn't one of them. Uh, yeah. yeah, he wrote he wrote the lyrics to this one. But it's one thing too. I do think I'll say this for Surrender too. Surrender sets up this song great. I love albums. It's kind of like Hell's Bells and True to Thrill. I love when you got the al- album, you know, where the first song's kind of more of a mid-tempo kind of anthem, and then the second song like speeds up the tempo. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like uh, it's kind of like how uh, we, you know I'm gonna mention Kiss again because I want to get those Kiss cards <laughs> listening. Uh, it's kind of like the story, or um, you know, in history science theory set best, you know, Detroit Rock City is kind of like a. It's kind of that song, like, you know, it gets the crowd kind of pumped up, you know, it's kind of like, you know, a little bit more darker, a little bit more dramatic, and you got King of the Nighttime World, which is more like, okay, we're here now, let's fucking party, and it's kind of the partying song, you know? Yeah, that's the thing, I feel like Surrender and On Top of the World, the sequencing, they they play off of each other. Right. One sets it up, and then the other one, like, now, let's let's really get into this. What do you think of On Top of the World, Eric? Oh, great fucking song, man, and I, I liked the way they kind of start off where, like, it's it, it sounds like you're missing, like, a second of it, like they yeah. press record a little too late. Um, I love the way they do that, and the, the guitar work is phenomenal from Rick Nielsen. Um, he's got some pretty, like, wicked-sounding, like, guitar, guitar sounds all throughout this album. It reminds me a lot of uh, Don't Stop Me Now by Queen. Like it's got that because it's got that piano that's kind of like "Don't Stop Me Now" and then it's got the kind of uplifting lyrics which Bon Jovi 
later ripped off on a shitty living on a prayer song. Uh, Cheap Trick obviously did a hell of a lot better. Um, that was Desmond Child, not Bon Jovi. Oh, yeah, that was Des- yeah, cause actually, yeah, that was a Desmond <laughs> Child song, so yeah, Desmond Child ripped it off. Uh, but yeah, Cheap Trick does a hell of a lot better. Um, this song is way better than Living on a Fucking Prayer. Uh, cause it's got those motivational lyrics about, you know, a struggling, you know, be- struggling, you know, trying to make ends meet, and you're gonna, but you're still gonna achieve your dreams. Uh, real uplifting song. I love lyrics like that, and uh, real awesome music to go along with it. Uh, Top of the world, man. Great song. I always confuse this because they do a song on. Uh, I think it's Dream Police. Uh, the way of the world. Way of the world. I yeah, always mix. They the two are up. very always, similar. I always listen to one and expect it to be the other song. I'm just like, you know, it always throws me off every time. So way of the world to one with strings. That's yeah, what makes them different. I, I love both those songs. They're I think both I like, great, I like, but they're, they're, they're like the same. They're kind of almost like the the sequencing is very similar because it's like Dream Police is in the surrender position, and then the second song. They're both the second song. They are very similar, but they're yeah. both great. I love both <laughs> those songs. I probably would give the edge on this one. I like on top of the world a little bit more than where the nice. world, but they're both great. Nice. Uh, Chris, why don't you go ahead and talk about California Man while I go pour myself another drink? This one, um, I didn't, I didn't realize this was a cover. Until, yeah, I'm um, looking. I'm just looking right now. It's uh, Roy Wood. Yeah, it's Roy Wood. Uh, his band, The Move, uh, which was a British band from the '60s, and um, you know, all for those Kiss Kiss Tards listening. The Move was uh, a band that uh, influenced Paul Stanley. So uh, this was uh, the original was kind of a pastiche of Little Richard and Jerry Lee Lewis. Uh, so you're going back to like the early early days of rock and roll for this song, but like it all, almost makes more sense uh, when you hear the Cheap Trick version now, knowing the backstory behind it. Um, the the B side to California Man by Roy Wood was Do Ya. So for all you Kiss Tards, that's a single that Ace Frehley put out on the Trouble Walking album. So there you go. Yeah, the um, e, uh, the ELO. Yeah, the song. ELO song. Um, do ya? But uh, no, I I I like this song. I um, and this one, this has been a kind of a mainstay of the Cheap Trick set list for decades. So they clearly love this song and love playing it. Um, I don't have a problem with this song. But, like, I mean, I'm going to say this on a lot of Cheap Trick songs that are on this record, which is going to piss off BJ and a lot of other Cheap Trick tards. <laughs> it's okay. I like it. It's all right. Uh, I kind of have your back on that. this one. I'll say California Man. It's a good song. It's a good filler track. It's interesting because, like, it's one of the singles, I think. Yeah. I think so. I think it was, yeah. like, a B-side. Yeah, it was a single. Yeah, that's right. And you're, you're right. Do, do You was the B-side. Just look that up. Um... Yeah, I, I don't feel like it should have been one of the singles, and maybe that's why it didn't become a hit. I don't know. I, I, I think because maybe they kind of saw it as like kind of like Southern Girls from the last album. I do oh, love that good song. Yeah, I think Southern Girls is better in this song. This is a good song. I like it. It's 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 a good album track. I'm, I don't know why it was the single, but it's a good album track, but it, it's not one of the stronger songs on it, but it's, it's like fine as a third track. It's a rock and roll song good rock and roll of course robin's vocals are amazing i like it it's got swagger it's got attitude it's a good song it's a good album track i don't think it's one of the strongest songs on the album but 
it's definitely not yeah i mean there's nothing on this album i skip you know it's a whole album that you listen to it so i like california man but i don't know why it was a single other than except for that they thought it was similar to southern girls but even southern girls as much as i love it no actually southern girls i kind of get why that was a single because i think that's catchier than this it's song. a, it's a much more song. radio friendly song yeah that's a more i just don't get this song as the single that's all i don't but, either. yeah yeah but anyway so uh what do you think of it eric Oh, man, I'm going to have to disagree with both of you because I fucking love this song. Now, I do understand where you're coming from because the reason I like this song so much is because I have a little bit of a sentimental value to it. Um, so I guess the, I guess maybe if I didn't have like a sentimental like connection to the song, I probably would feel the same way. It's just kind of a filler track. But this was a song, like I think it was a live version, though. My mom always had this song. She used to make mixtapes. Um, she's like, you know, take her CDs and make these mixtapes with these blank, you know, cassettes. Because we only had a cassette player in the car. You know, it's before you had, like, CD players and Bluetooth and whatnot in every car. So she make, like, these mixtapes. And this song, like, the live version, she always had, like, on every mixtape she had. So I always remember that, go into a party. Like, when we would drive somewhere, you know, especially on, you know, summer vacation, if we drove to... Wisconsin Dolls to the to the water park that they had down there for like a weekend trip. Uh, so the song brings back a lot of great memories of you know driving somewhere during the summertime, summer vacation as a kid. Real fun song and it is a cover of uh, the Move, which is a band very influential to Cheap Trick, especially Rick Nielsen. And they also, I guess they cover like a section of the song as well, uh, a song of theirs called Brontosaurus, like somewhere in the middle of the song, I guess too. Um, but yeah, it's a fucking fun song. It's a party time song. You know, kind of like a, you know, I could see Kiss doing a song like this. Um, I never knew this was Cheap Trick for so long. You know, I always heard that song on my mom's mixtape, and it wasn't until, like, you know, maybe five years ago um, that I found out it was a Cheap Trick song. But I love this one. It's a fun, you know, fun, you know, party time song. And I dig it, and I got that sentimental connection, so I definitely like it a little bit more, probably than you know both you guys. I have like a little bit more of a connection personally with it. So, Edwin, why don't you take the badass uh, high roller? Love this song. High roller is my second favorite song on the album. It's fucking badass. Fuck yeah! It just comes in with that swagger. Kind of ACDC-ish. Nothing wrong with that. You know, I'm yeah. a huge ACDC fan. And it just cut that riff. just nasty and dirty. One thing I want to say is... Um, uh, it's a, a Tom Tom Worman. Is that how you pronounce his name? Tom, yeah, Tom, Tom Worman. Worman, Worman who uh, produced this. He produced... And my only issue with In Color is... I feel like, and maybe because it's coming off of Jack Douglas's, you know, production from the first album, In Color sounds, I love the songs, the songs are all great, and I do love In Color, but I feel like the production sounds a little weak compared to the first album, but in Heaven Tonight, it's like, it sounds like from a production standpoint, like, he, like they finally like hit the perfection, because it's like they got the beef of the first album, but with like the polish of the second album, and because I just think Heaven Tonight just sounds a lot better and in color. Like it's it's heavy, but yet polished at the same time. It's an amazing production, and High Roller is like a great example of that. Like it's just like there wasn't anything that just had this beef to it on In Color, in my opinion. Even Big Eyes 
didn't sound as beefy as this from from a production standpoint. But High Roller comes in, and it just sounds beefy and bad, and oh, the vocals. I just love how it progresses and gets like increasingly catchier. You know, with the hooks and the melodies. By the time you get to the chorus, like you're almost not expecting a chorus that catchy from this song, if you know what I mean. And but yet it gets there. But yet it's just it's both tough and ear candy at the same time. I love the attitude. It's fucking like gangster shit. You know, <laughs> it's like yeah. throwing around money, being a fucking big shot in the room. He's a fucking high roller. Uh, I I love this song. I think it's one of their best songs, and it's my second favorite song on the album. Chris, what do you think of this song? This is my all-time favorite Cheap Trick song. I've right heard Holy shit. Album. Yes. I, there's no Cheap Trick song I like better than this one. Um, it. I mean, it's a song about a drug dealer. Um, yeah, I know. When, when, when I heard, because I knew that this was your favorite song, and I remember thinking, well, he made up for not liking uh, yeah, Need Your Love, because <laughs> he loves High Roller. So he's all right. If he loves no, I, Roller, he's I an lo- all right guy. <laughs> I love the attitude behind it. I love, musically, I love that it it has a lot of ebbs and flows, where it, it you know breaks down with the little, you know, kind of like muted picking stuff that Rick does on it. Um, the 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 melody and the chorus, you know, hi, 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 roller. I mean, it just there's absolutely nothing wrong with this song, and I I can't believe that this was the B side to California Man. I mean, I'll take this song over California Man any day. I agree totally. I, yeah. I think it would have made more waves too. I mean, at least with the rock and metal crowd. I mean, I yeah, think, this yeah. this is one of those where it's like it should have totally been a single. I don't know why it wasn't because I think it had way more potential on the radio than California Man did. But uh, no, I yeah, I, this is a song I'll never tire of. And um, yeah, of, of all the Cheap Trick records that have come out, this is my favorite song by that band. Did you did you see? Uh, you, do you know Charlie Hill? From uh, yeah. Facebook and I actually RMCC. had lunch with him when I was in Florida. There you go. Well, you know he's good. He uh, posted. He was at a uh, Robin Zander did an acoustic show mm-hmm. a few months back, and they did a version of this song. And it was like an earlier version. Apparently, they, there was an earlier version of this that they wrote uh, acoustically. So it was more of a kind of acoustic, stonesy, kind of bluesy song. And it had a different arrangement. It was kind of different, but they played it for the first time at the show, and he sent a clip. You should check it out if you haven't I seen it. I will check that out. Although I think a lot of what Rick does on this song is what makes the song. So, um, But, yeah, no, I yeah, I just I don't think they, they've written anything better than this song. I think it's great. Yeah, I do think they have a, some better songs, but hey, if this is your favorite Cheap Trick song, it's a cool favorite song to have. It's an awesome song. W- what do you think of it, Eric? Oh, man, fucking great song. This is, uh, you know, it's real badass. You know, like uh, you know, like Chris is saying, this is a song they wrote about this drug dealer they knew in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, which, you know, me being originally from Illinois, you know, Lake Geneva is definitely like a hot vacation spot that you go to and, uh, when you live in Illinois, it's up in Wisconsin. It's not too far away. You know, they got like a you know like a beach down there and all these cool spots to hit up. I remember, you know, you know, like I said in a previous episode, I used to strip, and I remember meeting up this girl in Wisconsin. And we hung out in Lake Geneva one weekend after a show I did, and uh, and I remember driving back home. I wasn't listening to Cheap Trick, but I think I was listening to like Rainbow, you know, Down to Earth, 
and then like Rock and Metal Combat podcast. But yeah, it brings back you know hearing the song and knowing that kind of made me think of it in a different way. Um, but yeah, man, it's just you know that got that sexy riff, you know, and uh, the whole line of like jump in my car, you know, don't have to go very far, just enough to show you a thing or two. Just man, it's badass. Um, you know, it's like, this is the kind of song where if you're watching, like, a movie, like, a super bad or, like, you know, Porky's kind of movie about a group of teenagers trying to get laid, there's always that point in the movie where they say something like, oh, man, we need to get drugs tonight for this party or alcohol tonight for this party so we can get laid, like, and the one character's like, oh, you know who can help us? My friend's, you know, the badass character, like, oh, my, my friend's Slicky Dicky. <laughs> and they just cut to this guy, this badass, like, driving, like, a Corvette or some sports car looking all badass. This is the kind of song they'd be playing in the background when they introduce that character, you know? <laughs> wait, 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 what, what, was his, what was his name again? Slicky Dicky. Slicky Dicky. Dicky. <laughs> That's correct. <laughs> Everyone knows a Slicky Dicky, you know? <laughs> I, I, but, I did know a Slicky Dicky, yeah. Oh, shit. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, well, not not by name, but I knew a guy like that. I knew a guy named yeah, Ray. Yeah, there's always he that guy. Was missing, he was actually a war veteran. He fought in the first desert storm. He was missing a leg. and oh, But he had a mullet and a handlebar mustache, and he sold weed from his uh, uh, room. He was an awesome dude. Let me tell you about Ray. He, he was, So he was a drug dealer, missing a leg, but he was awesome. He was, like, with some uh, crazy blonde chick all the time. They were always fighting. And he was the first guy like that, that I knew that had Australian copies of like the Australian ACDC records. Nice. Yeah. So this guy was like defitted. It's like he, like he bought the Australian records of the the original ACDC albums. He's selling drugs. He's missing a fucking leg. <laughs> and, and he wants he wants to call Trump. You, you like this? And it's totally high roller shit. He went into a Burger King once because he never wore a shirt. He, never, he, had like and he had like a Taz, you know, the Taz tattoo. So he never yeah. wore a shirt. And he goes into a Burger King one time and it's like, you gotta wear a shirt. And he's like, no, man, I don't wear a shirt. And they're like, you gotta wear a shirt. He's like, oh, fuck this, man. He starts like an animal. He starts knocking over plants and shit that they have there. And he freaks out like an animal and he got thrown out of Burger, Burger King. So... This guy, I don't know, for whatever reason, Slicky Dicky made me think of this guy. <laughs> That's funny. I, I, I had a guy, I used, when I lived in Kansas City, I worked with a guy, and I think his name was Ray, too. I, I'm remembering, right? <laughs> Something about the guy, the name Ray. But it's like, th- this guy had one arm, and he worked at 7-Eleven with me. And uh, I was like, how the fuck did you wind up here? And, like, turns out, like, he, he used to be, like, a uh, diving instructor out in San Diego. And a fucking shark bit his arm off. Shit, a shark? Oh. Was it was it a great white? Did he know? I don't know. I, I never got the details, but he was like, "Yeah, a fucking <laughs> shark bit my arm." I'm like, "So that's why you wound up like fucked up on meth out living in Kansas City? That's fucked up." Jesus. Oh, I, oh I, that, that's great. I should point out though, this was the funny thing is when I said that he was a veteran and he was missing his leg, he wasn't missing his leg because of the war though. <laughs> Oh God! <laughs> no, no. He fought. People would think that, and he would say it, and have them just kind of think that was the reason. But right. no. So he he fought in the first Desert Storm, but he actually was fine. He, I mean, you know, he had trauma, but he didn't like lose a leg. It happened a couple years later, in a uh, he was riding a dirt bike drunk. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> and so he's riding his dirt bike drunk, and he, and he uh, has an accident, and he lost his leg, and it's oh, it, he, he, he like dragged his way for miles to get to someone but yeah so he lost his dirt bike accident is why he lost his leg <laughs> fuck Slicky stick Dickie. to the desert storm story 
Yeah. You get more pussy with that story. All right. Uh, so we so we all love high high rolling because of course okay, we'll, yeah of course Great we song. all love it. yeah so uh, so the next song uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna murder this even though I'm 25 percent German uh, off Venusen is that like how Venusen okay er, I like Eric's pronunciation best <laughs> I just know it's something Nazis say a lot before they shoot a person off Wiedersehen <laughs> uh, so what do you think of this fucking masterpiece chris <laughs> oh, i love this song i mean it's like <clears throat> it's essentially you know here's 20 different ways to say fuck off to somebody that's what i love yep. about this song um no i, I think it's it's great although i think i only say off beater zane like once in the whole song so um no i in it's one of those things where like uh rick and tom wrote this together and there's not a whole, you know, there's a few songs on that, on this record and other records where those two wrote together. I wish they had written more together, because um, it sounds like there was a good kind of meeting of the minds there. But this song, um, this is a great way to close out side one. And uh, if you haven't heard the Anthrax cover of it, you owe it to yourself to check it out, because it's great. Yeah, uh, I love this song. I'll admit, when I first, when, when I was a little younger and I first listened to this album... This was my favorite song. I mean, obviously, because it's the heaviest, and, you know, I grew up, like, during the... I was a teenager during the grunge era, and, like, I immediately heard this and was like, oh, I could see how, like, this was a big influence on Nirvana, you know? Especially with, with Robin screaming suicide, like, at the end, the way he does it at the end, it's like, you could tell Kurt Cobain took so much from that. And well, so too much. Yeah, I mean it's it's a lot. I mean he also he also stole some of the replacements in the Pixies as well, but he took a lot from Cheap Trick. But yeah, so he's screaming at this. So I immediately kind of latched on to that. I love this song. It's great. I can kind of objectively hear how it might be the best song on the album, but not one of my favorite. I would say it's kind of dropped to like my fourth or fifth favorite song these days. But it it's an amazing song. I I. I don't know. I do. I don't know if I entirely agree. It's a good way to end the first side. I feel like this should be. I, I think Ralph and Ian said this as well. Yeah, I feel like this. I have a lot of issues with how this album ends, <laughs> and <laughs> it I, does you know, end in a weird way. Yeah. It ends in a yeah. weird, and I think weak way. And I feel like this should be the ending. I mean, it's exactly just saying the way. goodbye. Well, and, yeah, it, and it's a really strong track too. So. It's kind of like, like the first album, you know, ends with, you know, the, if you're doing it the way the band originally planned it and, you know, not the, the weird way it came out because of the side A, side one thing, but the history of like uh, TV violent, violence, like that's the natural crescendo of that album. Like that's I the love ending. the end of that fucking yeah, album. And, and that, you know, obviously decades later when they remastered it, they made sure that that was the ending and that's how it was sequenced. But uh, like similar, this this is that song. This is like the history of TV violence. Like for this album, you know, this should be the ending. So I I feel like it's kind of wasted as the ending of the first track of the first side, and it should be the last song on the album. But regardless, it's an amazing song. I love it. It's one of their best. What do you think, Eric? Oh man, it's a great fucking song. I love that guitar at the beginning. Um... And yeah, this should have been like the ending of the album, you know, because it's, you know, just lyrically, it's yeah. it makes sense. And it's a strong song, you know. Uh, I do know they, I think they close a lot of their concerts with this song, which makes sense, you know. And uh, it's a suicide song, you know. It's 
you know, one of those things I've noticed about Cheap Trick, um, you know, with their songs is, um, they have a lot of like poppy, like happy, jumpy sounding songs, but they'll have like the most demented like lyrics. And this is obviously one of them because it starts off, it's kind of like a happy, you know, rocking song. And you think, oh, it's just him saying goodbye. And he's ending by like screaming like suicide. And it's like, holy shit, this is, uh, this is pretty dark, you know, and, uh, I, I love, you know, we were talking about Rodden Sanders' voice. I love when he goes from, like, sounding like a fucking angel to, like, you know, sounding like a serial killer at the drop of a hat because he starts, he sings the song kind of normal, and at the end when he's screaming, like, suicide, you know, he just sounds so evil and, like, you know, demented. Yeah. I love this song. It's fucking, this is a badass one, and I agree. Missed opportunity to use it as a closer for the album. Yeah, all right, I want to start... Uh, I'm gonna run with this one, the next one, because this might blow everyone away. And okay. Because "Taking Me Back" is my favorite song on the album. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, I know. I I feel like a lot of people would listen to this and just think maybe at best it was killer filler, like it's yeah. A filler. And I gr- granted, I it's not a single, but this is a song that over the years, like it's not a song I even thought much about when I first listen to this album but over the years this is one of those songs that just kind of creeped in there and i don't know maybe it's just where i'm at in my life and whatever but when i was listening re-listening to this album this week i finally like i finally surrendered to this (laughs) idea that taking me back was my favorite song from the album it's like there's just something about this song that i feel it's magical just draws me in hey it starts off with um this great riff kind of acdc ish but unlike High Roller, which I also love, but it kind of High Roller kind of goes in this more expected, swaggering hard rock direction. Whereas this song kind of starts off hard rock, but then goes into this weird kind of ELO kind of synthy pop direction in the verses, which I love. And I'm not, I'm kind of a little mixed on keyboards and Cheap Trick. Some songs I think it works on. I think you were saying something similar, Chris, on your show. Like, Dream Police. Like, there are some songs where I think the keyboards work, and then there's others, like half the songs on The Doctor, where it's like, nah, there shouldn't be a synth on that. That's it's wrong. It's too overpowering on too those overpowering. songs. But this is, this is, like, just the right amount. Yeah, I feel like this song, it's just the right amount. Like, this, I like the sound. I like the production. I like the sound of the synths uh, during the verses. And when it comes in, and Robin's vocals are amazing on this song. And... And it's kind of just repetitive a little bit. I know where he just says, "Take she's you know taking me, taking me back," you know, all, over and over again. But there's something very powerful about it, and it keeps kind of rising and rising. It's like this crescendo by the end, and I just find it very emotional and powerful. And there's just something about the song that I feel like it's a perfect album track. It's a perfect pop rock song that has kind of a little bit of everything I love about music because I love so much late 70s and early 80s because i also love a lot of new wave you know as well and i love stuff like the cars and blondie and a lot of that stuff and this song has a little bit of that in there and i just i i just all i can say is it's a it i find it to be a kind of powerful song a kind of understated powerful pop rock song that i find very moving and and something that only cheap trick kind of really nail in a, a way that's really distinctly cheap trick but i love it it's my favorite song on the album and one of my favorite cheap trick songs very curious to hear what you think about it chris because this is one of the songs that wasn't discussed on your episode <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
you, you sure you want my opinion on this one? Yeah, yeah, go um, ahead. Yeah, I, I'm not going to get butt hurt. You don't have to. I, th- <laughs> I hate this song. That you is, hate oh! it? Yeah. But it wasn't your least favorite. It's not my least favorite. We'll get to that soon. But uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. I uh, I don't like this song at all. I think it's awful. Uh, what, what do you hate about it? I don't like the keyboard stuff on it. I, I, I think it's got a forgettable metal medley or melody on it, and um, I don't know. I just don't like if you're going to open a side of a record with a song. This is not the one you want to do it with. I, I just I don't know. The song does nothing for me, and this is one of those examples where it's like you know you and Ken Mills and BJ like you guys love Cheap Trick and you guys think they're amazing and can do no wrong, but like to me like. I hear this, and I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to be a diehard fan because of songs <laughs> like this. Yeah, I, I get I, I, it. This is definitely one of those kind of songs. It's like a song, like, you can tell, like, are you going to be a casual fan or a diehard fan? Yeah. <laughs> if I, if you love Taking Me Back, I guess I'm a diehard fan because I love Taking Me Back. Yeah, I, I, I've never liked this song. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's <laughs> all right. What, what do you think of it, Eric? Uh, it's definitely, like, kind of a, a filler track, but it's killer filler. Um, you know, it's a it's a fun song, and uh, you know, you said ELO, Edwin. Uh, for me, this song reminds me so much of the Cars, specifically the first album. I believe this is like right around. This came out right around the same time as the debut Cars album, which I fucking love that album. Yeah, same here. Um, My favorite's Candy O, but I love the first one. I like the first one a little bit more. Cause I I think it's just been with me longer, so I think that's why I give the edge. But yeah, I you know, listening to this album multiple times. All I kept thinking about when I heard this song was the Cars and that debut album. This song's a, it's a fun song. It's definitely new wave. It's something a little different, um, but it works for me. Uh, not one of my favorite songs off the album. Uh, it's definitely like a filler track, but like I said, killer filler. Uh, phenomenal song. There's even like some parts, like a couple little parts that remind me a little bit of Oh Darling by uh, the Beatles. Yeah, well, especially Robin Robin's vocals. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, because he Come really on, gets guy. down there. Look. Oh, Darling is way better than this song. Come uh, on. It's a, a, oh, I agree. Oh, Darling's way, way better than this song. But there's some parts that remind me of a little bit of Oh, Darling. Uh, objectively, I agree with you. Subjectively, I don't. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, yeah, I can hear. Oh, oh, well, I listen, I love Cheap Trick. And I would argue that Robin might be a stronger vocalist than Paul and John because he's like he's like John and Paul combined. But you heard him do Sergeant the that album where they did Sergeant Peppers. I actually never. Well, you know, this is you want my hot take, you know, about Sergeant Peppers. Oh, uh, right? I know, but yeah, we, we got to <laughs> talk about that album too because that's yeah, like probably, I, it's that's my, my like it's one my, of my all time favorites. Yeah, it's my least favorite Beatles album. I'm not. I'm not oh. a big. What do you think of that, Chris? Uh, I don't like Sgt. Pepper, so there you go. I'm not always about them. Yeah, does that make you think of counterculture? <laughs> no, I mean, out, outside of a couple of songs, I don't know that Sgt. Pepper's all that great. Oh, oh I, I think it's great. It's very overrated. I take it. <laughs> I like what I, I... I think Magical Mystery Tour is a better record. I agree. Personally. 100% better song. Song by yeah. song, it's a better album. I agree. Well, we're going to have to do a Sgt. Pepper. Well, we know who we're bringing on when we review Sgt. Pepper's. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, You'll get my back get more on people it. to hate me. Go ahead. Go <laughs> but, yeah, I did a Beatles rank Rama, and I literally ranked it last. And I understood. Like, like, I wouldn't rank it last. I ranked it last. I think but... I had to pause that video and, like, walk away for five seconds. <laughs> <laughs> but I like it. I think I'm not saying. Yeah, there's some good songs on it. But I just, I like 
I don't know, I don't want to turn this into a Beatles episode, but I just, I have my reasons. They are legit reasons. And, you know, I love Abbey Road. I love, like, Rubber Soul. Like, I'm not against things just because they're popular. I mean, but, I get why, I get there's, like, a lot of people that, you know, usually kind of dislike it. I mean, the Beatles, you really can't go wrong. They have yeah. so, like, pretty much every album they've released is, like, you know, amazing. And I can see, like, you know, people trying to go me a little bit against the grain. Or, you know, you got people that, like, you know, Sgt. Pepper's get shoved up your ass so much as, like, the greatest album ever. You know, that I could see people kind of, like, maybe turning against it or maybe, like, just getting kind of burnt out with it where they it's go towards like something else, me. you know? It's just a little too Beatles goes to Broadway for me. You know, mm-hmm. I, I'm more of a rock and roll I wasn't guy. a fan of it at first. I'll admit that. I was not a fan of it at first. It took me a long time to really, like, absorb it. I just, I just think it's hilarious that Paul McCartney goes to a club in London to hang out one night and Hendrix is there playing the entire record. He'd already learned the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like that version better. <laughs> it's more rock and roll. <laughs> Hendrix is like, well, fuck you. I'm going to play your whole record. Yeah. Now, so, well, leading into uh, a song that almost could have been on Sgt. Pepper, <laughs> let's talk about the next song. Wait, what I the fuck? <laughs> Although, actually, uh, I will say this, I already know I like it better than Chris, but I think everyone likes the song better than Chris. Okay, oh, the God. next song, on the radio, Chris, oh. go to town. <laughs> Dude, this, this song, song fucking blows. This God song damn. fucking sucks, man. This is... <laughs> I mean, if yeah. I'm gonna if I'm gonna go for a nostalgic song about radio, I, I mean, I'd even take Paradise for the Dashboard Light over this. Yeah. But <laughs> I, it, this is horrendously bad, and I, I think it, and it's also sad because it it feels like it's them pandering to the radio industry. Mm-hmm. Um, if I want a, a song about praising the virtues of radio, I'll listen to Radio Gaga by Queen. But this one, um. Horrible, terrible song. This is one of the worst songs in the band's catalog, in my opinion. Eric, you shit on it too before I I talk. Let me get some toilet paper. Yeah, this song (laughs) fucking sucks. Uh, You know, the last track I said it was like killer filler. This isn't killer filler. It's like filler, like filling your ass up with a fucking 12 inch dick uh, without (laughs) consent. This song fucking blows. This is like, this one I, I, I was skipping. This song's horrible. I know Bunny Carlos fucking hated it, and I, I agree with him. Uh, Bunny Carlos, you, you got the right idea. This song just sucks. <laughs> it's annoying. I hate the radio DJ in it. It's just, I don't know, it's just stupid. Uh, just can't stand this song on the radio. Fucking, this song does not belong on the radio. It belongs in the fucking toilet. Edwin, what do you think of it? Okay, this is when you guys are going to both think I'm a cheap trick tart. <laughs> if this was on Sgt. Pepper, it'd be one of the better songs. Oh, uh, fuck that. Jesus. Fuck that. No. I, I would not be on the radio if this song was on it. Uh, I lo- I, although, I don't think it's one of the best songs on this album, but I think Heaven Tonight shits all over Sgt. Pepper. Anyway. Ooh. It, yeah, I said it. But anyway, on the radio... Good song. I like it. I like it. It's not one of the best songs. I'd say it's about a mid-tier level song. Why the fuck do you like this song? Why, Edwin? Is is Robin Zander and Rick Nielsen paying you right now? How How big is that check? It has... Well, also know this. Keep this in context. I'm a big Beach Boys fan, too. Uh, I like... It has this infectious kind of old-school, just fun, pure. There's a naive charm to this song. 
And when I listen to it, it just makes me think of like, it's just like he's, there's that lyric about how the DJ makes you feel so good, you know? And I like the positivity of the song. I like the hook. It's just kind of this fun song that, that transports you back to this other time. And there's this, there's just, all I can say is there's this kind of magical charm to it that I really like this song a lot. Now, I like every other song before this better, except for maybe Surrender. <laughs> And when you say this reminds you of the Beach Boys, it's like Mike Love era fucking Beach Boys, hey, like, John Stamos. Like, no, no, like more early Mike Love. <laughs> With Uncle Jesse. Kokomo revisit. Oh, I, I, I can roll with some Kokomo. Uh, I like some Kokomo over this fucking song. At least that song was actually on the fucking radio. <laughs> Kokomo radio is, didn't want to touch this shit. Uh, I, I don't know. I know that's what Bunny said. I Listen, this was 19... What was it? 77 or 78? 78. 78. 78. Yep. This ain't getting them on the radio. A disco song would have got them on the radio. So I don't think they cynically did that. I think they just... I think Rick... Uh, who wrote it? It's Rick's song. I mean, Rick's like kind of an old school hokey kind of guy. I think he just really like same side of him that likes to do the old fifties rock and roll songs and stuff. I think it's uh. just. I feel like it's something that when he was a little kid listening to the radio, like on some little transistor radio or something. And I feel like it evokes the spirit of that. And even the DJ at the end, like I could tell you this, like one of my. I was a little too young. I was born in the late seventies, so I was a little too young to remember it. But I do. One of my first memories is, like, Wolfman Jack, like, hearing things about him and seeing him yeah. in movies and stuff. And there was this time where, like, before MTV, where the radio was everything. And, like, just this idea of this, like, young Rick or Robin, like, sitting in the room and getting excited about what they hear in the radio. I know it's hokey, but I like it. And to me, it's it's a good, it's not a single, but it's a good album track. It makes me feel good it makes me smile so i'm just a hokey kind of cornball that likes on the radio i like it i think i think it works but at the same time i can get why people think it sucks <laughs> so <laughs> so that's all i'll say about it like i get it but you know i love the tonal shifts it's a good segue i love the tonal shifts and this is where they are like the beatles especially like late 60s white album beatles where there are drastic tone shifts like you know one of the great things that i love about the white album which i do love unlike sergeant pepper uh the white album is like you'll have songs like martha my dear and then like helter skelter yeah like i love that tonal shift and that's something that cheap trick really captured throughout their career and especially on this album because you got the on the radio and then you got heaven tonight which is so fucking dark before we get into heaven tonight edwin let me explain it took you that long to explain why On the Radio was a good song. That should tell you something. Yeah, that should tell you something. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, uh, touche. <laughs> Wait, I got, can I take, can I take Heaven Tonight first? Because I got a lot. Oh, no, go ahead. But obviously oh. all I'm saying is like, you got On the Radio. And I myself love the tonal shift. I think On the Radio, it's the last thing I'm saying about On the Radio. <laughs> but on the Radio makes Heaven Tonight even better. <laughs> because it sets up this when the darkness seeps in it's like you have the light the childhood lightness and then the adult druggy darkness comes in and that's Ooh, awesome yes. so you go into it eric oh man heaven tonight so i gotta talk about this one first because this is my favorite fucking song off the album 
This song rules, and I remember the first time I like listened to this album in its entirety, you know, some years back. This song, like, when I saw the title, and I saw it was the title track and whatnot, I thought, Heaven Tonight, Cheap Trick, it's probably going to be some kind of, like, little poppy, like, love song or something. And, man, I was totally shocked and taken back by how evil and, like, creepy this song is. Uh, this song just fucking rules. Uh, I rank it up there with, like, you know, Killer by Alice Cooper or, the you know, Born Again by Black Sabbath. It's just super creepy, like, terrifying fucking song. And, uh, you know, even the opening, too. The opening, like, you have that weird sound. It's almost like a car crash or, like, a... Well, those, you know, like when you're watching a horror movie and, like, they, you get, like, that jump scare and they make that loud noise or something, it's something like that. It's just so evil. Um, and it's a song about, you know, uh, about, like, ODing or, like, coming close to ODing where you, you know, you do too much, you know, you're partying too hard and you get to that point where, like, oh, fuck, I, I feel like I may die. I think I went too far. You know, I, I used to party a hell of a lot, you know, in my younger 20s, man. There are days I'd be doing so much fucking blow, you know. I get to that point where I'm like, fuck, I took it too far, and it's a terrifying fucking feeling. And this song just captures that, like, that fear and that anxiety. It's just, oh, it's just so badass. And the way they capture that feeling you get, you know, you know, I don't know if you guys, you know, you know, I don't know if you guys were, you know, partying hard, you know, you know, in your young 20s and whatnot, and you may put yourself to that point. But man, I'll tell you that it captures that feeling perfectly. Um, even, and like, I love the lyrics. You know, it's like kind of like Robin's talking to you like he's like an angel, like you're going to be in heaven tonight. But then he like changes his voice to where it's evil. Like he sounds like the fucking devil and he, you know, evil sounding. Um, and he got Rick Nielsen with his weird, like, serial killer sounding vocals saying, like, you can never go down, you can never go down. Just so evil, so badass, man, and, uh, great fucking song. My favorite song off the album, and, uh, I know the guitar riff, too. Uh, I don't know if you guys heard it, but for me, that guitar riff almost sounds like a real demented version of, uh, Dream On by Aerosmith. But yeah, this favorite song off the fucking album probably one of my top five cheap trick songs uh chris why don't you take this one next it's uh i mean i you kind of summed it up pretty well i mean i can't really add a lot to it i mean it, it's basically a song about death and yeah uh, it's uh it's got that minor key going to it so it's like you know it's kind of <laughs> as nigel tuffle will say it's the saddest of keys <laughs> but um <laughs> it's uh it's one of the and like you also mentioned you, you know you're spot on Eric because like you know you mentioned Al, Alice Cooper like imagine Alice Cooper doing this on Welcome to My Nightmare it yeah. would be it Terrifying. would fit it would fit 100% you know it's uh the whole uh you know like it's funny like cause like if Kiss had done this song do you want to go to heaven tonight sounds like something Gene would say to a groupie you know yeah. fuck, fuck you backstage and you go to heaven tonight but like the way the the context of what this song is put out with these lyrics is it's like it's kind of almost scary sounding so i um i think it's uh it's one of the better songs on the record just because it's it's so intriguing you know it's like it's it's dealing with the subject of death which cheap trick for the most part is kind of a fun party band yeah but, uh, but they hear, will they will throw those curveballs or they, they write will, a song that's 
You know, yeah. they'll, they'll even write songs that are happy sounding, but with demented lyrics. Whereas, but I mean, this song though, it's just it's got the misleading title, and the whole yeah. song musically and lyrically is demented. Yeah, it's um, it's almost like it would have this song would have fit out on a horror movie soundtrack. Yeah, you know? it's like it's um, it's a it's a bizarre song, to, especially for that time that this song came out. So. Um, yeah, one of my more favorite songs on the record. It's weird that I, I'm more drawn towards the dark side stuff, but uh, yeah, I like this song. I always have. Well, that makes sense being an Al Cooper fan that you'd be yeah. drawn to the darker stuff. Uh, and same here. I mean, Eric, you you pretty much expressed most of what I would express. And you know, I think we all. I know Chris and me. We've all had that point when we were younger when we might have been a little more high than we were wanting to be so we know that feeling when you start i mean the first time i took acid was actually like that like uh, at first really? it was great but like for like the first couple hours it was a lot of fun but then you get to that point where i felt like oh i'm too high i'm getting too yeah. high like i'm drifting away from my body and there's suddenly you get really scared you know it's like oh, you yeah, yeah when you're young man it's like you yeah. just you know because you're a little bit more indestructible when you're younger yeah. you can push yourself a little bit more when you know than when you're older but I feel like it's like, man, you when you start partying at a young age, it's like it's you know, especially with rock stars, it's like a like a game or something that you play where it's like, how far can I push myself before yeah. like I I take it too far? And it you, forces you to deal with mortality a little bit sooner than maybe you would have otherwise. Like you start yeah. thinking about like, oh, I'm like a human being that can die. Yeah, yeah, I remember. I remember moments of getting way too high, and then my friend going, "Hey, you need some coffee." And it's like <laughs> the last thing you fucking need to put in your body. Yeah, yeah. I, I think also. I think uh, I hear a little Alice Cooper. I hear a little also again the Beatles, but like the darker Beatles, like those darker parts of like uh, she's so heavy. Like mm-hmm. like you hear a little of that in this, and there's just a, that dark magic. And again, like I'm not saying I'm not going to talk about the other song but there's the total <laughs> shift <laughs> that i really love and i remember the first time i heard this album like everyone it sounds like i was expecting a kind of more upbeat song to be the title track and i yep. remember instantly this is one of the few songs i remember hearing the first time i heard that i just remember really being taken aback like going, oh this is like going to be a dark strange song yeah, <laughs> and it completely I, I, throws you off yeah i wasn't expecting expecting it to be a dark strange song and but there's a magic to it there's a dark magic to it i love it it's one of them, i would say it's one of my it's it's kind of in the middle in terms of my songs but I'll, I'll put it this way i wouldn't say it's one of my favorite songs on the album but when it's playing it's probably my favorite song if that makes any sense <laughs> <laughs> like yeah like like it doesn't it's not a song i would go to but once it happens you get caught up in the magic of it you know that's the thing it's like oh shit i'm in the dark magic of heaven tonight and i totally (laughs) surrender to it for a few minutes you know and it's great and what do you think of stiff competition chris oh i love this song one of the best riffs the band ever put out in my opinion on uh you know it came out in 78 so i don't know i love the um you know the double entendres in the lyrics i think it's cool um you know the whole i screw you you screw me thing um it's cool i you know it's one of the better this is one of the better cheap trick songs come out of the 70s so um yeah i can't really add a whole lot to it but uh yeah i think this is uh one of their strongest definitely one of the best riffs they ever wrote 
Yeah, I love it. It's very, again another kind of at least uh, the opening riff is a little ACDC-ish. Um, I love it. When when I was younger and I first heard this album, this was like probably my second favorite song on it. It's kind of dropped over the years, but I still love it. It's like now maybe my fourth or fifth favorite song, but I love it. It's a classic. I also I love when it gets like uh, into the softer melodic part. You know, it kind of reminds me a little little of Guns N' Roses. It's so easy. Like I feel mm-hmm. like that was an ins- like it's yeah. so easy was inspired by this song because it comes on hard and rocking, but then there's that darker melodic kind of softer part that kind of makes me think of stiff competition. And I love the lyrics too. And it's a great song. It's yeah, it's a classic in my opinion. And like this would be a great song to play for like a hard rock or metal fan that maybe only knows the the cheap trick like hits like you know played in stiff competition and maybe you'll hook them into the albums. What do you think, Eric? Yeah. Oh, man, this fucking song rules. Uh, you know, definitely it's a fun, hard-rocking, you know, kind of, they, you know, they're kind of doing the kiss thing, the Fuck Me, Suck Me song uh, with the double entendres. Um, and the opening riff, uh, the opening riff almost reminds me a little bit of See You in Your Dreams, and huh. which is ironic because Rick Nielsen... Uh, played guitar on uh, Gene Simmons' solo album when he redid that song on his solo album. So, a little bit of irony there. Um, cause the, the, maybe, maybe he realized that himself and brought it up to Gene, like behind yeah. the scenes. Yeah. I, I have a feeling Gene Simmons may have uh, paid, Gene Simmons' lawyer may have paid Cheap Trick a visit <laughs> when this song came out. But, uh, yeah, fun song, man. If you're, I mean, definitely if you're a more hard rock fan, and also, too, if you're a Kiss fan trying to get in Cheap Trick, check this song out. It may get you the intrigued a little bit to check out more of their stuff. And, Ed, when you mentioned, too, that, you know, that soft part where, like, it kind of slows down a little bit, you know, the, I look hard in your eyes, like that part. Yeah. Um, you mentioned It's So Easy. Um, for me, it reminded me of uh, Charlotte the Harlot by Iron Maiden. We're like, uh, you know, Shout Out the Hearts is hard rocking song, but then they have that part where they kind of slow down. It's real melodic sounding just for a little bit before it kicks back in. Also, uh, a little like uh, Dawkins, like Bolts of Spare. Like, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Man, that's a great fucking song. Fun time, party rocking song. Chris, what do you think of Stiff Competition? He, he already talked about oh, it. Oh, shit. Eric. Pay okay, attention, man. Drunk. Be a pro. <laughs> Don't embarrass well, Chris, me in front of Chris. I'll go again if you need me to. <laughs> well, Chris, I guess uh, I'll do a segue. How are you? Oh, oh so you want to get there? Yeah, that was good. That was good. You saved yourself. I recovered. <laughs> I have the opposite opinion of this song. I don't like this song. Ooh. <laughs> I, uh, it's okay. I think the chorus is good, but uh, this is also this is a bit of a throwaway track for me. And this is another one where it's like, I know a lot of uh, Cheap Trick fans are big fans of this song, but I don't know, it doesn't do or doesn't really do anything for me. So, like, uh, not a big fan of this one. And um, yeah, that's really all I have to say about that one. Edwin, what do you think? I actually kind of have your back on this one, Chris. Uh, I, th- th- let's put it this way: the way you feel about on the radio is kind of how I feel about this song. What? <laughs> yeah, sorry, Eric. <laughs> Apparently, Eric likes it. Uh, it's all right. Um, I I have a lot of problems with how that this for, this is I gotta say this is probably the best album that ends badly <laughs> that I can ever. It think does of. really end badly. It does. The last it, two really, songs. it does not end like a classic album. It's like everything about this album, in my opinion, is like a classic album. And then it just like drops the 
Ball on the 10th and 11th track. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's just an odd song to have as the 10th song, too. And not only musically, but even lyrically, because it's like, how are you? I feel like that should be on the first side somewhere. Yeah. Or it's opening a, uh, side two, even. Or may- maybe, yeah, opening side two, even. It's just, it's a weird... It's a weird sentiment to have as a second to last song. It's also weird that for the, for the most part, this is a hard rock album, and then you have your second, your last proper song because you know Eau Claire is obviously not like a real song. It's so song. it's kind of odd to have like this poppy little piano-driven ditty be the last song on a hard rock album. You know, it's just there's a lot of things that's off about it, and to some degree. It's a little like kind of like Blue Oyster Cult. Like like there's things that they do that I feel sometimes are counterintuitive that kind of are the reason why the band's ultimately thought of as kind of like a band that people just think of their hits, if you know what I mean. Like they just do a few wonky things on their albums sometimes. Uh kind of, you know, and I feel like when when people were listening to like Kiss and Judas Priest and ACDC, like they knew how to fucking wrap up an album. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And Cheap Trick, like, like they, they kind of like, they're like 90% there, but then, then they drop the ball at the end. And it's important because it's kind of what you, you're left with. You know? You're like left yeah. with the end of the album. Especially, especially in the late 70s when people had to be listening to vinyls, you know, when they couldn't just like replay an album. So I just feel like a lot of young people would be listening to this album and then at the end it's just like, oh, okay. You know? I, it's just like, it's not how you should end a fucking hard rock album. So I, I don't know. I have a lot of issues with the song. It's a fine little pop ditty. Yeah. I like it a little. It is very similar to the original version of I Want You to Want Me yep. from In Color. And I think I agree with everyone that that first version kind of sucks. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Terrible. Yeah. Terrible. <laughs> yeah, so this is a little bit better. I like it a little bit better. I think the production's a little bit better. But it still kind of sucks. It's like that <laughs> original version sucks, and it's just kind of sucks. And it's like, this is a whole album where, in my opinion, nothing has sucked at all. So keep in mind, I'm a guy that likes on the radio. So, oh, but, God. but when it gets to this song, I'm like, okay, this song kind of sucks for Cheap Trick. And yet, it's the last proper song on the album. So, I don't know. I have a lot of issues. I think they kind of dropped the ball at the end. And it's one of the reasons why it's maybe dropped to my third favorite album, even though I do love it. But I think, Let the, me... I think Green Police and the first album have stronger epic finales. And this that's not an epic finale. You know, like, I feel like it needs an epic finale, this album, and it doesn't have it. Can but I what yeah, interject go. for a second? Yeah. Um, and like we had, we did the, the, the um, best and worst of 70 Judas Priest, and we had Julian Gill on the show. Yeah. Talk, talk about that. And he makes an interesting point where I almost wonder if the same thing was going on with this record. Like, just imagine in your head, like, if side two was actually side one and side one was actually side two, and if you let off the record with stiff competition, would that make more sense? To have stiff competition be your album opener, and then you go through "Take Me Back" on the radio. How are you, Eau Claire? Then side two opens up with "Surrender" on top of the world, California man, high roller, and it ends with "Off Feeder's Name." Do you think that makes more sense as a record? It, yeah. it's a, I, I, I do. I feel like "On Top of the World" is a second track. That's mm-hmm. like the one sticking point I would have 
with that arrangement, but it would definitely end better. There's no question about yeah. it. I almost wonder if that was the in- initial intent. They changed it around. It's possible. It's 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 an offbeat way to end the album. Yeah. That's it, that's it. But yeah, and and I but I gotta say, I think Judas Priest always ended their albums very well, much better. Well, listen to sure. Stained Class backwards. Listen to Side B before Side A, and it makes a lot more sense. Ooh, that's not you, where you I think? thought you were going mm-hmm. with it. I thought you were going to talk about uh, Sad Wings because I know too of Sad Wings. Like some pressings of it, side one was actually side uh, like side one and two were reversed. So you began with Prelude and uh, well, that might, maybe that yeah. was the one he was talking. One of those seventies yeah. Judas Priest records. He had uh, it backwards. was probably Sad Wings because yes, yeah, it was Sad Wings. Yeah, yeah, Sad Wings was supposed to be the other way around. And it's funny yeah. when I think about it, I'm like, man, actually, maybe would be. I love Sad Wings of Destiny, but maybe that would make it even slightly better than it already is. Uh, it's hard to say, but I understand. It's, tough, yeah. it's like victim of changes. It's kind of like okay, we're gonna talk about Kiss again, but it's like the Elder. Like I know, like there's a lot of Kiss hearts that love Elder, like the way Kiss originally wanted it to be, and like it follows the story. But I was like, this is one of the times where I side with the scummy record people. Like I get yeah, why. I get why. Kind of like to get you going, you know. <laughs> I get why they would listen to that album and be like, "No, dude, start with the oath." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're, try- <laughs> we're trying to sell some records here. <laughs> I'm gonna start with the flugelhorn guys. Come on. <laughs> yeah. do, do, do. Can you imagine being like a Kiss fan? Like you know, maybe you lost, maybe you went to the military or something, and the last record you heard was Love Gun. You come back from the military, you hadn't heard anything <laughs> Kiss. You're like, oh, this new Kiss album's gonna ruin you here. Do, 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 do. And then like, it's not like it what? does do 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 and then goes into a rock song even. Like it goes do 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 and it goes into. <laughs> it goes into like some and then the Odyssey bullshit. and then the Odyssey like it doesn't go into a proper rock song for a while <laughs> yeah <laughs> so yeah that's fucked up you can't do that and I feel like to a lesser degree Sad Wings if they had done it prelude like you get what I'm saying Eric like it would be yeah. kind of like Judas Priest fans would be like, okay, when are we getting to Judas fucking Priest? <laughs> well, that's not, the the piano intro is kind of dark, you know, dramatic and like kind of menacing sign. Whereas you know, this isn't like, doo, 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 no, doo, I get doo. it, I get it, but I understand. <laughs> but I can all I'm saying is I can understand why you'd be like a record exec and listen to those sides and go victim of change. Like you want to go for that, like because that's yeah. such a powerful song. That you know, you want to, you got to hook people in, you know. But anyway, so this this album ends with the opposite of hooking people in. It's like we hook them in, and then we're like, ah, oh, you know, whatever. Fuck it's off. It's really weird. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, but you seem to like the song a little bit more than me and Chris, though, Eric. So talk about try to justify how are you? <laughs> oh man, well I, I I agree with you guys that this album this song should have never ended the album. I think it's a horrible choice for an album closer. But I do love the fucking song. Um, it is like, you know, it sounds a lot like, you know, the studio version of I Want You to Want Me, which that fucking studio version blows compared to the live at Budokan oh, version. Yeah. But yeah. this song definitely, they kind of take that sound, but they make it a little bit better. And this is another one where, like, it's kind of, you know, it's a happy, fun song, but with some demented lyrics, because it starts off like, 
hello, how are you? You know, like, you know, it sounds like this, you know, this, you know, guy that a girl meets or something who's like, you know, has a crush on her. And then at the end of the song, like, he changes his tone. Like, he goes from being all happy and joyful to, like, all demented and evil. So, like, it's it, it's kind of cool in that way where it's, like, this happy song about this guy that has a crush on a girl. And then he ends up being this fucking creepy-ass stalker, like, breaking in through her front window. Like, hello, how are you? You know, sound like a fucking serial killer or something. I love it. I love that, you know. And I love that Cheat Trick will do that, these happy songs that turn like all demented and evil if you like kind of listen to the lyrics or really listen to it i love that and so yeah it's a great fucking song it's a five out of five song for me but i agree with you guys where this should never this is like a mid album track this is not a, a, a song you close the album with even though the Eau Claire technically ended the album which or, you guys want to well, talk well, about yeah, yeah. We, well we're doing this whole album so yeah we should talk about it yeah. uh, here I'll take I'll take Eau Claire real quick uh, you know it's a short song uh, Eau Claire uh, fucking better than on the radio uh, Eau Claire better than how are you <laughs> oh fuck there in your face Jesus. <laughs> it's coming back with fire <laughs> Uh, it's cool. I actually I like the guitar sound. You know what it reminds me of? We were yeah. talking about Jesus Priest. I don't mean to cut you off, but we, we were talking about Jesus Priest. It reminds me so much of uh, the Defenders of the Faith, the final track, where yeah. it's just basically them repeating a chorus for a little bit with crowd noise. It is, and it only goes similar. on for like a little bit. It reminds me so much of that. Yeah, it's uh, it's a cool riff. I like it. Uh, I don't want to. I, I want to say people should listen to. The uh, Decibel Geek, uh, the best and worst 70s Chief Trick album, because you guys actually talk about the origins. BJ talks about the origins of that song. So listen to that. I, I yep. don't think we should talk about it here. So people, yeah, people should go and right listen to that. after this episode ends, go yeah. listen to that shit. Go listen to that. we will find you. <laughs> if you're curious about what this song originally was. But anyway, obviously it's not a song. It's like a snippet from a concert, some guitar. It's a cool... It's like, originally it was... Apparently it seems like it was a hidden track because it wasn't... According to Wikipedia, it was not listed yeah. on the LP label. Nope. So I guess it was a hidden track. So, But now, obviously, people know it's called Eau Claire. And it's, it's, it's fine as a hidden track. I don't really have a problem with it being like a little epilogue or coda <laughs> at the end. It's fine. Obviously it's not a song. But it's it's a fine little coda, you know. It makes you feel like, hey, maybe I should check out this cheap trick band live. You know, they got some live thing going on. What do you think of it, Chris? It's okay. I mean, it's it, it's it's interesting because, like, um, yeah, I mean, Eau Claire, E A U, Claire is a town in Wisconsin. Um, I knew that because I lived in Illinois for a little while. It but um, nice. it's um, I lived in actually in Lyle outside Naperville. Um, oh, cool. <clears throat> but no, I mean it's okay. Uh, it's a weird way of ending the record for sure. Um, but yeah, so it's like it's kind of a downer note that the album ends on those two songs. But I don't know. It's a, it's all right. I still like. I still between this album and In Color, I kind of go back and forth on which one I like better. But uh, you know, it's one of my top two Cheap Trick records, even even though it ends on a weird note. Yeah, I, I used to bounce between uh, these al- those two albums too for my uh, third and fourth position for a while. But I've kind of leaned to. I think this one has a stronger production, so I give this one the edge. I think it's a little beefier sounding. Yeah, but but song song wise, they're about neck and neck. I would say. 
And what do you, and where, and where, what, what is, did you say, Eric? I'm sorry, I've been drinking. Did you say what your favorite Cheap Jerk album is? Uh, Dream Police. It's okay. back and forth always between Dream Police and uh, All Shook Up, you know, because I'm I'm just such a big Beatles fan. That, oh yeah, and you like Sgt. Pepper, so that makes yes. sense that you would like All Shook Up. Yeah, so it's always back and forth between that and Dream Police, but right now I'd say Dream Police is probably my favorite. That's that's definitely like the that's definitely like their peak. I want to say. Do do you, uh, uh, Chris? Uh, uh, I'm just curious. Do you like the Beatles? Oh yeah, I love the Beatles. Oh, because I didn't know because yeah. I know you think that Cheap Trick leans into the Beatles stuff too much sometimes. Well, I mean, like, but like if I want to hear the Beatles, I'll listen to the Beatles. Okay, yeah. you do want to sometimes listen to the Beatles. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, no, I I love the Beatles. I that you know, I I watched every minute of Get Back, much to my wife and daughter's chagrin. <laughs> Um, well, I guess I should know you like the Beatles because uh, I think liking Mystery Tour better than Sgt. Pepper means you you have to. Although like, I do really have a, them, I'm yeah. a giant Sgt. Pepper like mural behind me that I have free. Ooh, that's so hot. I do love uh, I do love Sgt. Pepper, but yeah, I do think Mystery Tour is a better record overall. What's yeah. your favorite uh, Beatles album? If favorite you Beatles record? Oh man, that's a hard question. Um, probably the White Album. I mean, yeah, I, I guess I one. go back to that one more. Either that or Abbey Road. One of those two. I go with the White Album, personally. Yeah. Yeah, My I favorite like the White album. album that isn't Sgt. Pepper's uh, would definitely be Revolver. Revolver it used to be Rubber cool. Soul, but now I lean towards Revolver as my second favorite. Because, you know, Sgt. Pepper's always going to be number one for me. That's, I mean, that's my favorite record of all time. Yeah, Revolver's my second favorite. Uh, oh, it's a great album. One. Uh, okay, so, uh, well, that was great talking about this album, Chris. So glad to have you on the show. And I'm curious, we're going to do, like, just ask you, like, is there anything, like, like a recommendation? Like Radical anything? recommendation. Is that the official name? That's what we'll Eric? call it, Radical Recommendation. Uh, should we ask Mick Watkins for a position? <laughs> yeah, permission? I'll ask for his blessing. <laughs> if uh, not, you'll hear a big, like, bleeping noise. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or... uh, so, a- any recommendations, like uh, music, any album that you've been vibing on this week that you would a like to... a movie pre- or a porno, whatever. It could be, a- it could be anything that you <laughs> want to recommend to people this week. I'm really bi- really big into Taboo 3 with Ron Jeremy, but no, um... <laughs> no, um if for music, I mean, for Mick Watkins, like if say you know, Wild Ride, Gasoline Alley, but uh, hell yeah. Also, um, I don't know what about like. There's there's a band I found last year called the Dust Coda that's really good. Um, no, I'm not familiar with them. What kind yeah, of yeah? What style are they? It's kind of more like Rival Sons ish type stuff. Um, okay. They're a British band. So um, what, what's Rival Sun like? Rival Sons. <laughs> Never heard Rival like, Sons. No, like, kinda like Badlands ish. Well, check like, out Rival know. Sons. It's a little bit more. Um, God, I don't even know how to describe it. They, more they're like more the, like a seventies White Snake kind of sound, like seventies White Snake, like, like Mickey Moody and Brandy. Yeah, I love that stuff. I yeah, yeah. Like, that. 70s, like Badlands with Ray like, Gillen kind of. Bad Company Free type stuff. Yeah, okay. okay. I'd find it. I did that like rootsy classic rock. Yeah, rootsy rootsy stuff. Um, they're they're like that's some stuff I would I would suggest right now. Okay, nice. Cool. Yeah, I'm listening to that. Uh, that sounds good. I'm gonna check that out. What, uh, was there like an album they have that you'd recommend? Uh, they put out one last year. I can't remember the name of the record, but it was one of my top records of the year. Um, I can't remember the name, but yeah, the Dust Coda is what you want to look up. Or like 2021 release. That's the one you want to look. Where well, they only got one album, so yeah. I think it's the only they only put one record out so far. And then another band um, 
from Latvia called Bloody Heels. Um, Bloody Heels. Bloody that Heels. Cool. That's another band you should check out. Like they've got kind of like that eighties. Uh, it's kind of a mix between glam rock and power metal. Nice. Okay. Cool. Cool. And what do you got to recommend, Eric? Oh man, so I'm gonna recommend, and I'm gonna go. I'll talk a little bit about, it, but I'm gonna recommend that new single from Skid Row, "The Gang's All Here." And man, I just gotta say that new fucking singer, man, he fucking rules. And you know, I I kind of you know I like some of the stuff Skid Row did with Solinger. Um, you know, I, I, I appreciate the, you know, I respect them for doing something kind of real different, you know, because the Saunders stuff is very different. It's, you know, not what you'd expect from Skid Row, but with this new singer, man, it sounds like old school Skid Row. I was a little skeptical about the singer because he was kind of like a, Amer- like a Swedish American Idol guy, so I was a little, like, kind of hesitant about it, but man, I heard this new single, man, and... It did not leave my uh, headphones for uh, for like pretty much all week. So catchy, so fun. It sounds like old school Skid Row from like the first two albums, and you know it, it just pisses me off because there's so many fucking dumbasses out there that oh it's not Sebastian, so I'm not listening to it. And you know there's so many people that who would like it because it sounds like old Skid Row, and they got a singer that's capable of singing the Sebastian stuff, but they're not gonna give it a chance. Because it's not Sebastian Bach. Well, pull your heads out of your asses and go listen to this fucking song. I can't wait for this album to come out. I'm going to give it a chance. And, uh, you know, props to Skid Row, too, man, for, like, you know, not bringing Sebastian back. They kind of stick to their guns. They don't care if they're going to earn some extra money with Sebastian back or pulling some headlines. They just, they don't want to deal with them. They don't care about the money. They just want to be happy, do their own thing, and... New singer fucking rules. Gangs all here. Great fucking song. I'm I'm kind of glad they got rid of that ZB ZP Hearth or Farts or whatever the fuck his name is because <laughs> yeah, no one seemed I, to like him. So. I, I did not like him, <laughs> and I I'm just never been a fan of Dragon Force. To me, that's like Dragon Force is like anti sex metal. Like the moment you listen to him, you like instantly become a virgin again. Like. <laughs> Dude, in high school, I got a lot of shit for being a metalhead. Some of the bands I listened to, but even like the metalheads in my school. We knew Dragon Force was some nerdy shit. Like, the people that listen to Dragon Force, and I'm not trying to be a bully, but the people that listen to Dragon Force or had Dragon Force shirts were like the... They're like the guys in high school that are like, you know, 17, 16 years old, but they look like a 35-year-old, a like, middle-aged dad with a New Balance sneakers. They sweat a lot, and they're already balding. That was the kind of people <laughs> that, that listen to Dragon Force, man. I, that is some nerd metal, dude. Some fucking nerd metal. <laughs> So I'm glad that takes a lot if you're saying that because you love a lot of that kind of shit. I do. I love some nerdy metal, but Dragon Force is just like going too fucking far, man. <laughs> yeah, but I'm glad they got rid of that guy. He just did not fit in. Even Tony Harnell, and I like Tony Harnell, and I love TNT. He just didn't fit with Skid Row. Like that was just one of those things where it's like you take two good things and it didn't mix. But they really got some with this new singer Eric, some Swedish name. But hey, his name's Eric, so fuck yeah. Um, <laughs> He's fucking great, and I checked out the, you know, him playing with them in Vegas. Like, he's got a fucking, he's got a hell of a voice. You know, the first, the first show, he sounded a little like he was kind of holding back a little bit. Like, you tell he's nervous, but, you know, I've checked out other footage from later shows. He fucking fits in perfect. And people just, you know, close your eyes and pretend it's Sebastian Bach. Because I guarantee you, they just put, Skid Row said, like, new single with Sebastian Bach back on vocals. And didn't say they had a new singer. It was just Sebastian Bach. People would fucking love it. So give this album, a, give this song a chance. 
And when the album comes out, give it a chance too, because I sure as fuck am. Yeah, that that's all great. Can I contradict you? Yes, go ahead. <laughs> if, if it was Sebastian Bach, I would still think it was a mediocre song. <laughs> oh, <laughs> sorry, just, Eric. It's so catchy. It's catchy. Yeah, it's like it's candy, I, I and I can't stop generic. eating it. Well, let's just say this. I feel it sounds to me more like the first album than Slave to the Grind, and I'm more of a Slave to the Grind guy. Like, yeah, uh, I. Uh, uh, it's all right. I mean, it's not bad. I get it. I mean, it sounds like Skid Row. Yeah. And the guy obviously can sing, so it kind of sounds like, yeah, like he's trying to, like, you know, Snake wants to make some money all of a sudden. Like, like that's what it sounds like. <laughs> it's like, oh, he's got to pay some bills. I better get a guy. Finally, I should get a guy that sounds like Sebastian Bach. It's like, yeah, oh, hey, you're Skid Row. Yeah. So, uh, but I don't know. I just, it just, it sounds like what it is. It sounds like a kind of paint by numbers, like, Old school Skid Row song. I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm, being, I'm maybe I'm being a dickhead here. That's the song. Maybe again too. Like maybe you know it could be like you said. He's trying to find. He doesn't want to get back to Sebastian, but he's like maybe we should go back to kind of that old school sound because I I do feel like you know fans of Skid Row in the '80s probably don't like their newer stuff because it's very different. Yeah. Skid Row is always a band that's always evolving their sound. But then again, you know it could be also too maybe. You know, it's like kind of like you know we reminisce, you know, like you know being young and you know being in high school, and you know, and sometimes we like to go back and like have fun like we used to when we were young and uh, you know party and be stupid and whatnot. I mean, that's just Skid Row, like kind of it's kind of full circle kind of thing. Maybe they're kind of like you know we we've been evolving our sound, like you know, I kind of like to go back to maybe just you know let's go back to like how we when we were young we wrote like just fun you know fuck me suck me songs and just have fun again. You know, it could be that thing. It could be like something like that too. I, you know? I just want to hear our songs as good as like Monkey Business or like Quicksand Jesus. Like I just oh, feel like they, they, yeah, like, you know, I I'm holding them, I'm I I'm holding them to to that standard in a what darkened is, room. I love that song. Yeah, I love you that song. You know what's funny? Too. That song kind of sounds like. It, I, I'm, I'm a like a lot of people are gonna you can you, you can send your hate mail to these nuts because I, I do love the song. It kind of sounds like a Taylor Swift song, but like a I, metal I, version. I, of I, I, I can hear more, that being like a Taylor Swift song. Like yeah. she adds like more poppy sound to it. That's I don't know something about it. That's because you're a millennial. Uh, no, yeah. it, sounds like a, it sounds like a Skinner song to me. Kind of like a dark Skinner Ooh. kind of ballad. Like, you know, it's me. funny. Like Sebastian said, that was Dimebag's favorite Skid Row song. Yeah, so that would explain that. So what do you think about all this? What do you think of that new Skid Row song, Chris? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's missing a verse in the chorus. I don't know how to explain that, but like it... I don't, not it's all not, the way there. Well, like there's the whole, the gang's all here, the gang's all here. It's kind of cheesy. Um, well, I saw the title, I thought it was cheesy, but then I heard the song, and I'm like, oh, this, you know, it's good. I can't, well, the, I mean, It sounds the, good. The rest of the song's good. But, like, there's part of me that, like, say the gang's all here twice, and then, like, not that I'm even a songwriter, but I'm like, I can hear Sebastian doing, like, an extra verse. Yeah, like, in Youth Gone Wild, there's a little more Yeah, at the end of the chorus. Yeah. And it would make the song so much better. I totally hear what you're saying. at the same time... I don't know. I think he's he's a better fit than ZP was, and I I um I don't know. I you know we'll see what happens, but like I side with Skid Row and Rachel and Snake as far as not wanting to work with Sebastian again. Um, oh yeah, he seems I mean, like a, 
Well, he seems like a dick. He's a dick. He hates me and Aaron. Why does he hate you guys? It's a long story. Um, Dude, but, it's uh, funny, too, because I remember, you know, it seems like with social media nowadays, where, like, everyone, including, like, these rock stars we knew, like, they have a soapbox to preach on, or yeah. they have, like, they their voice can get out there a lot more. We've just—I've really discovered like a lot of these rock stars I used to look up to and think were the coolest people ever, like oh, Tommy really? Lee, Paul Stanley, Sebastian Bach. They're fucking obnoxious, fucking mm. douchebags. Insecure is the main word. Yeah, uh, it's uh, like it goes a long way back. But I mean, like essentially, we had Michael Wagner on the show talking about the first two records. Rachel was with him for the first one, and um, but like. Michael was very nice and diplomatic on Mike about everything. And like, yeah, honestly, I, I want to tell Sebastian you should hear what he said off Mike. But um, oh god, um, but it was very diplomatic. And then I had a friend that was with us the day that we recorded at Michael's studio about it, and saying, and ran into Sebastian in Louisville and got on his bus and was getting stuff autographed. And Michael had signed his copy of Slave to the Grind and. Sebastian's like, well, who the fuck signed this? And he's like, what's well, Michael Wagner, the producer? And he's like, oh, really? How'd you get that signed? And he's like, well, I was with the Decibel Geek guys and, and everything. He's like, oh, you're one of those guys. And he's like, no, I'm not with Decibel Geek, but I was hanging out with them. And this guy used to run our Instagram page, just a mm-hmm. friend of ours. And um, Sebastian essentially was like, oh, that was you? He's like, well, if you if you see Michael again, tell him I'll never work with him. And, uh, you know, I can't believe him saying that I'm the reason the band broke up. And he's like, spouted all this bullshit. And, like, it was uh, none of it was which, you know, what Michael said. And, uh, you know, just went off the deep end and was like, I'll, I'll never talk to those guys and fuck those guys. And then Rockin' Ron, who was our video guy, you know, God rest his soul, he passed away last year. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, Sebastian was coming into Denver to do a show, and Ron was good friends with the promoter, and got you know gave Ron access like he always does to do the show. And Sebastian was still remembering his connection to Decibel Geek with what happened with Michael, and fucking made a spectacle out of the whole thing, and like had his manager ban Ron from like fucking taking pictures and stuff, and it was just just being a fucking child about the whole yeah. thing. Nah, he's so, like a real see, drama queen. Yeah, yeah so good. my opinion is fuck that guy. You know, I, yeah. Uh, no, I get it. Hate my friend uh, went to see Jeff Tate solo, and he, you know, Jeff Tate's notorious for being a fucking asshole, and he also hates, you know, he hates, like, basically everything, like, the first three, like, Queensryche releases. My friend, he really loves the early shit, and he brought, like, a copy of his EP for, you know, Jeff Tate to sign. Jeff Tate signed all of his stuff, but he refused to sign the EP because he's just that much of a fucking dick. And he just does not like that EP at all. I'm like, man, fuck that guy. That's stupid. Yeah. Yeah. It's but uh, these guys get very self-destructive. This uh, leads in. I'm going to make two recommendations. I'll try to be quick on this. So right. It doesn't go over three hours. <laughs> Although it's been awesome. I've loved it. Um, uh, first thing is, it kind of deals with a similar kind of toxic personality, because that's what it sounds like Sebastian Bach is. Uh, a movie which I just posted about this on Facebook today that I love called Red Rocket by Sean Baker. Have you heard about this, Chris? Do you know about this movie? No, I don't know about this one. Yeah, did you ever see The Florida Project? Do you know about that movie? 
Now it, I can't say I do. It's real, that's a really good movie. It was made a couple of years ago. Sean Baker, Willem Dafoe play, uh, played a supporting role in it. Very good. Um, is Sean Baker is like one of the few directors, American directors right now, that kind of deals with like uh, the kind of seedy working class of America. And he makes these really kind of gritty, kind of guerrilla style films. But they have a lot of humor. They have a lot of humanity and humor. They're very uh, politically incorrect. And there's just a lot of things I like, I love about this movie. And essentially, this movie, Red Rocket, and you can see it on like you can like Amazon Prime or some video on demand for like four bucks. You can rent it. I just but, looked it up on iTunes. It's a guy, a naked guy with a donut around with him. A donut around that donut's <laughs> very important to the storyline. So essentially, it's about this guy who was in porn. Uh, he was a porn star, and he moves back to Texas, his, like his hometown in Texas, with, uh, and moves into his estranged wife. Because he's like he's busted out, like he you know he's busted out and he can't live in LA anymore. So he moves back to Texas, and he's like this hustler kind of con artist guy. And so he's living there, and then he sees this really attractive young girl, seventeen-year-old uh, girl that's working at a donut shop. And he's thinking to himself, like maybe he can turn this girl into a porn star, and that will be his ticket back into LA. <laughs> So it's a it's a dark comedy. Like I said, it's very subversive. It's not something it's not something for everyone. If you're with someone, or maybe your wife gets easily offended by that kind of stuff, maybe watch it on your own. I don't know. But if your wife's cool and doesn't mind that kind of stuff, watch it with her. But anyway, so it's essentially about this like hustler kind of guy, this ne'er do well kind of con artist, trying to kind of pimp out this young girl at a donut store, shop, this donut shop in Texas because she might be his ticket back into the porn world in L.A. And, I mean, that's, like, right up my alley. That's the kind of story <laughs> I like. And it's, like, it's a little, like, like um, I don't know, if you like things like, I don't know, Midnight Cowboy or any movies that are about, like, misfits and kind of seedy people. Hustle and Flow is another movie mm. I, I think that's a lot about movie. when I saw this movie. Yeah. So if you like stuff like that, Hustle and Flow and Midnight Cowboy, and you like these kind of movies about like seedy underworld types like hustling and you know doing these things that are outside normal society but with a lot of humor i definitely recommend red rocket i think it's an amazing movie and it's really really funny too i was like laughing out loud and i'm not an easy laugh but it was funny uh, album wise i'm gonna recommend night demons latest album it's a concert oh, yeah yeah year of the demon which I've been listening nonstop. Uh, Mick Watkins did a video about this recently, so if I can squeeze in another recommendation, watch that. Mick Watkins' latest video about your... Oh, I saw a great video. Yeah. And he's dead on about it. Yeah, In some weird ways, this might be my favorite Night Demon album yet, even though it's all, like, half of its covers and live stuff. And singles, yeah. But, but when it shines, it really shines, and... I really love that they're, they're getting to a point where they started, Night Demon started, they're part of the new wave of traditional heavy metal. They're out of Ventura, California. You would think they were European, because most of these bands that are from that movement are from Europe, but they're actually, they're actually an American band. And But they have a very, it's almost like, and correct me if I'm wrong, Chris, but like me, aren't you also a, and Eric, aren't you a Paul Diano guy? Don't you like the yes. made in that? Totally. They do totally. have that Paul Diano maiden sound. Exactly. Yep. That's why. I that's why. Him. That's why I like Chris. I know he's a Diano guy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Night Demon sounds like kind of like if Paul Diano never left maiden. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I like him. <laughs> yeah. 
So they, yeah, so they got that sound, and but now they're starting to with this stuff. They're incorporating a little thin Liz, thin Lizzy, which you yeah, know, love thin no Lizzy. They there. do the sun <laughs> yeah. goes down cover, and they do that. Uh, they have and the are you out there, which is kind of like a homage to Thin Lizzy. Totally, are you out there? Totally sounds like a Thin Lizzy song. Uh, it, but it's like Thin Lizzy mixed late seventies Thin Lizzy mixed with like early eighties Maiden. So to me, yeah, that sounds a little bit awesome. Witch. Yeah, it was a little splash of Angel Witch, and yeah, and so they got a great sound. The the guitars are great, the harmonies are great, and the vocalist almost has a kind of Jeff Pilson when he did demos kind of sound. If you know yeah, <laughs> which is cool. I mean, I think Jeff Pilson from Doc has a great great voice. Yeah, so it's it, that's like kind of the overall sound of the band. So if if all that sounds appealing to you. Definitely listen to this. It's a compilation of singles. Essentially, they released like three EPs, like maxi singles during the pandemic. And this yeah. is like a compilation. So you could kind of think of this as like the 2.5 album from Night Demon, kind of the halfway album between their second and third album. Yeah. And I love it. And I, I'm very excited to hear their next album because it's like I really like as they're leaning into the mixing in the hard rock elements, the more melodic uh, hard rock elements into the new wave of British heavy metal influence. I'm really digging it, and I think uh, this is a band that's like people who should really get behind. Everyone's exactly. always talking about these old bands, and they're just like they neglect the newer bands that are up coming yeah. up. And and it's like you know, listen to some new bands that are yeah. doing the kind of music you like. You know, they're out there, and Night exactly. Demon is a band like that. You should definitely check it out. Highly recommend Year of the Demon. Oh yeah. Well, man, I want to thank uh, I want to thank you, Chris, for joining us on the Rock and Roll podcast. We hope to have you back again. Uh, yeah, um, you know, check out Decibel Geek Podcast, uh, everyone out there, and uh, if you can, please come to Rock and Pod in spring. Still, plenty of fucking time to save up that money to make the trip up to the to Tennessee for Rock and Pod, and you know, come party with us. Yeah, we're all gonna be there. It's gonna be the party of the fucking century. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Thank you, guys. It was uh, a lot of fun to come on. Yeah, I think you're the first people I've told it'll be. Uh, April 15th will be the actual expo. So, of course, we'll be doing a concert the night before on the 14th and then nice. some stuff the, ne- the day after. We usually do a barbecue and stuff. So, yeah, but uh, it'll be a lot of fun, and uh, I look forward to meeting you guys. Oh, yeah. yeah April I, 15th, everyone. Put it on your calendar. Tax day. <laughs> it's official, April 15th. And, yeah, I totally look forward to doing the barbecue and actually meeting you in person, Chris. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yep gonna be a blast so thanks again chris it was awesome and yes yeah, sometime during the summer you should come on and we'll do that alice cooper show yeah i would love to yeah sounds great thanks so much man over and out brother later guys later guys yeah. all right bye